0: The following is brought to you by The Social Suplex Podcast Network.
1: Yo, this is Rich Ladder here. We are across the street from MSG. why, baby. New York City, Madison Square Garden. Hey, y'all boy, come on. Come yeah, on. man, Jeremy Donovan here from Keeping It Strong style on social Suplex. We're here with one half of the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. Hey, one half of Gorilla's of Destiny, but one whole of Tama motherfucking Tonga. Realest of the realest. Hey, ain't nobody realer than Gorilla. <laughs> Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll be covering all this news, answering your questions, and doing week four of the final countdown. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network and to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review you can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our ProSung Tea store, com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT EXT. The only browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much, much more. It takes njpwworld to the next level. Visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man?
2: I am somber, man. I'm hurt <laughs> you know I'm out here. Uh, I was out here in these streets. Uh, I found myself in oasis, a nice little uh, uh, public pool because you know Florida don't give a fuck so they're opening stuff up and um, no, but I actually uh, for the safety of myself people I was with we, we were you know in a pretty safe environment. Um, you know no one else was around that kind of thing so it was kind of cool we had a nice day but i underestimated what being out of the sun for two how how long has it been out two two and a half months i don't even know
1: yeah two months like two months yeah
2: god i am freaking burned chris yeah so (laughs) i'm hurting i'm tired i don't really want to do the show today
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh man well, if it makes your, lift your spirits any better, we are the 2020 Social Suplex Fantasy Draft Champions.
2: Oh, that's absolutely right. Yeah, so that that, that was cool. Uh, yeah, Kenny and Brock is a draw.
1: <laughs> we are uh, superior bookers.
2: You know, I'll be honest, we, we actually are superior bookers. Uh, For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, uh, I'm going to need you to go check out um, the two-part episode of this year's Social Suplex Draft um, to kind of get caught up. Uh, But it was really fun, right?
1: Yeah, it was fun. I'm I'm glad we did it again. You know we did this in 2017, but we never recorded it. We never did any follow-up with the draft we did in 2017. And so now I think we're going to make it an, an annual tradition and have every show on the network that's available to get involved. It's a fun little show to get us all involved and in, uh, just seeing the type of cards and rosters that each team um, draw, drafts.
2: Yeah, so it was a cool concept. So we had a roster of wrestlers that we were allowed to draft, you know, a certain amount of men, certain amount of women, certain amount of tag teams. And uh, we all drafted them, and then we came up with fantasy cards. So it was a two-part episode, and you, the listeners, voted. Not many of you. Some of you. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what happened there, but, uh, you know, all the, the majority spoke out, and they said keeping a strong style are the superior bookers. So spoiler alert, we have won uh, you know, winner circles here. We're used to winning things. <laughs> we, we, we get it. It's not a big deal. But um, – in, in all honesty, I will say this. Going in as fourth place as the uh, fourth place draft pick was way harder than the previous time we did this where we were number two. And so I do think that although we did a good job drafting, I think we had, I would say, maybe the second or third best Roster list, but as far as the actual booked card, I think we did book the best card in my humble opinion
1: Dude, we had a war games match in the middle of the card <laughs> We had a freaking tag ladder match with uh Mexa blood and uh lucha bros Kenny Last and brock match mysterio and Hiromu
2: In a yeah, junior
1: we- title match
2: Yeah, man, we it was a great card and uh you know, for those of you that want to see what we're talking about, go check out the episodes. A lot of fun. and uh, you know you can kind of go in there twenty twenty hindsight realizing that when you listen to our card, you're listening to a winner's card.
1: <laughs> That's right. It's up in the archives on the social suplex podcast network. If you subscribe to the network, guys, you get all the great shows on this network. plus all the archives, you can li- literally listen to all one hundred and twenty seven episodes of Keeping it Strong style. On the and the
2: bonus episodes,
1: yeah, bonus episodes, uh, the award shows, the drafts, uh, One Nation Radio, Get in the Ring, All Things Elite, Growing Men Watch the Shit, everything that we have to offer here on the network. There's interviews on there, you know, our interviews with Rocky Romero, um uh, Mike Super Chris Charlton. Um, you know, Rich has done some interviews uh, with Troy Hollywood and some other people. we got a, a, some a lot of great stuff that's in the archives there.
2: Our annual FOH draft where we all get drunk and say foolish things and then feel bad about it <laughs> later on.
1: <laughs> that's right, our big uh, Christmas special, the FOH draft. I know you guys love that. It's one of the hits here on the network. So yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. So make sure you're subscribed to the Social Suplex network feed so you're getting all this great Stuff that we're putting out on the network, all the crossover episodes we do, it's a lot of great stuff on the network
2: feed Nice, well let's, uh, uh, well before we get into the show man, how you doing? I haven't seen you, what's, what's been going on with you? Man,
1: just living this quarantine life, just working from home
2: um, I see you're out here with the, with the, with the claw
1: Yes right, I've, that's been my quarantine drink, I've been uh, si- <laughs> sipping on some uh, black cherry white claw Throughout the quarantine, um, throughout the week, you know.
2: An an episode where I'm drinking water and you're drinking alcohol, the roles have definitely reversed.
1: (laughs) Except that's probably going to be the only one I drink and not get up and get like five more.
2: (laughs) I I do not usually drink five (laughs) drinks on the episode. I I know, I'm exaggerating. It's usually like three or four.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm doing oh. doing all right, man. Still working from home. We haven't um, gotten the word to go back in the office yet. You know, just been watching random stuff, watching uh, NXT and Dynamite. Um,
2: Bro, my my stimulus check come?
1: No, nah, it has not come yet. I checked the oh mail. Oh my to, god! I checked the mail today, and
2: this this kind of shit never well, happened when Obama was around.
1: You tell you what? Your Trump bucks were not there.
2: Yeah. Trump's fucking with me. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got heat with Trump. Yeah, but uh, no, that's cool. Yo, so th- uh, before we go, I do want to know something. So the gym's not open. What have you been doing, bro? You've been you've been clanging and banging in the dojo, or no?
1: Yeah. So what I've been doing first, I've been like going on. You know, I'll take like you know three four laps around the complex with uh, my dog Kai. That's like a, you know, out there for like 30, 35 minutes, and then come back to the dojo. I'm doing my old uh, high school wrestling. It was a warm-up then, but, you know, I'm a little out of shape now, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little workout right now. Um, it's your
2: daily, it's your actual whole workout, your yeah, warm-up is your workout? <laughs> yeah,
1: dude, but yeah, back in the day in high school, this used to be our warm-up for practice. It was a 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 squats, and 100 jumping jacks.
2: You can do a hundred push ups. Yeah. Bro. That's I mean crazy. I do
1: like I do like twenty five, twenty five, twenty-five. It's one round and I do four rounds of twenty-five of each <sighs> thing.
2: Oh, uh, that makes sense, yeah.
1: But yeah, that was our yeah, that was our warm up <laughs> for the wrestling team. So I'm just sleeping Dang. trying to get through that <laughs> as my workout right now. Since the gym is closed and I can't uh, pump the iron.
2: I know, man, it sucks. Like uh, you know, since that's uh one of the top breeding grounds for the COVID, for the Rona Um, I've been I've been doing P90
1: oh yeah
2: yeah back in the day when I was like the fittest I ever was I was doing P90X and I was uh, you know doing jujitsu and wrestling and training you know kickboxing and all that stuff at at the same time but I I thought back to it and I I had the opportunity to do P90X and I was like it's a little intense for me I'm (laughs) (laughs) I think I think I'll just do the P and the 90 and leave the X out (laughs) of it (laughs) But uh, I've been doing that. It's been going good. So
1: I have thought about uh, dusting off the DDP yoga. I still have bro. My... Do
2: get the DDP yoga going, bro.
1: I, I still have my disc. I know uh, Josh number two in our Largo Loop group. I know he's been doing some uh, DDP yoga. I've been thinking about busting it out, hitting some uh, the, the diamond cutter stretches and uh, diamond cutter push. The off. most,
2: the most fit I saw you was when you were doing. Uh, what was what's the shake stuff you do? The Nutra System or whatever? Oh, Herbalife. Yeah, Herbalife. What were you doing? when You're doing Herbalife.
1: I was just working out at the gym, man. Um, eating a little uh-huh. bit healthier, but like even the, well, the best shape I ever been in was 2014 when I was really, really doing Herbalife and like going, doing like boot camps like twice a day. Just I had like six pack abs out here. I was gonna like Tony Niece out here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. One last thing before we go. So this the the C1 tournament. How's that going?
1: You know, it's been alright um, The best
2: to the Super Cruisers
1: <laughs> It's been all right. you know Empty arena wrestling, it's just really hard uh, All these matches Would be so much better if there was a crowd Reaction um, But you know, it's, it's a, some good little tight Wrestling, they have some solid workers in there um, You know, I've been a big fan Of Swerve for a long time now And I, he's been doing really well In the tournament, he's one on one Right now on top of, I think he's in the B block, I believe um, so he's doing well, uh, you know, they're doing the whole Drake Maverick story where he's released, but he's still in the tournament and he's fighting for his job. If he wins, he could potentially keep his job. And uh, I think it's an interesting little story there just to kind of blend some real life what's going on and kind of kayfabe it up a little bit.
2: I mean, I mean, what's the deal? Like, did they really fire him? Like, was this a work? Like, I, I I've been hearing lots of people like kind of be positive about and then other people be super negative on the whole thing and I I don't really know what to believe. All I know is that um, I just keep trying to you know like turn on the the network and decide to watch this and then I just think like nah.
1: (laughs) 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 And I just don't. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, kashida has been doing doing well. Um, Haven't been really blown away by uh, Phantasma in his two outings that he's had um, I know I've seen him in lucha underground and um, as he was Oh, a, that's he was King Corno, right? Was his luchador ground gimmick? Yeah, yeah, he was awesome on that show. But so far,
2: so you're saying you're saying a luchador came to WWE and had uh, trouble adjusting the style and looking impressive? That's crazy. (laughs) I've never, (laughs) I've never heard of that happening ever in the history of WWE. That never happens.
1: Yeah. So honestly, yeah, he's he's just been fine. I feel like all of his opponents have kind of outshined him in in the two outings he's had. But we'll, we'll see what happens. He has one more match left in his block, so we'll see what happens.
2: Nice. Well, I say let's uh, let's get into the show because uh, we just got a couple more um, final countdown episodes here before we you know complete this project.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty excited, man. Uh, but yeah, we'll do some news first. So first thing, uh, I heard that a state of emergency in Japan has been extended to May thirty first. So clearly they're they're tightening up the lockdowns in Japan. So I'm waiting any minute now for there to be. An official cancellation of Best of the Super Juniors and um, yeah, that whole tournament that would've, that would have been all of May and leading into June. I'm guessing that I'm I'm pretty sure that whole tournament's going to be canceled or po- postponed.
2: Uh, I'm hoping postponed. It's very interesting that they haven't gone ahead and made the official word that they're not doing it, which kind of makes me think that you know, with how quickly they acted on other shows like Dantaku and things of that nature um that they're still holding out some sort of hope to maybe do it or at least that's my thought process because right you you think by now it's patently obvious that they're not doing it and they haven't said anything so maybe there are some plans in place to either postpone or you know uh hold it at a later date i don't know
1: right yeah we'll, we'll see what happens there um and maybe they're trying to do an empty arena Best of Sleeper Jr. Maybe that's why they yeah. haven't canceled it, because they're, they're going to do the tournament, but it's going to be empty arena.
2: I thought about that as being a possibility as well. Uh, although, you know, so far the company, even though they've made some allusions to empty arena wrestling, they yeah. haven't really gone ahead and committed to that. They haven't done it throughout this whole process. So we'll see. One thing I did want to bring up, um, the governor of, or maybe it was the mayor, I don't, I think it was the mayor of New York, was stating that they are not anticipating having concerts or mass gatherings of any sort until 2021 wow. in New York, which leads me to think, and this now granted this is about 15 days ago when he said this, but uh, if that holds true, then that means that we're definitely not getting Russell dynasty uh, in August.
1: Right. So yeah, maybe they'll yeah postpone that. Maybe they'll relocate it to a state that can run it in. Um,
2: you mean like Tampa Bay?
1: Yeah, come down to Emily Arena. Hold God,
2: on. I I don't know if I'd still I still don't know if I'd go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy, man. I might support them from f- from the dojo
1: <laughs> <laughs> via satellite. <laughs> via satellite. Oh man, yeah, it's yeah, man. What a what a crazy year twenty twenty is, man. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty much a a wash at this point, man.
2: Well, um, you know, maybe if – well, the good thing is they're talking about hopefully rolling out antibody testing here in the uh, near future, which, you know, there's still a lot of issues with that. But if they – let's say hypothetically, like I I think you and I both know there's a couple times in the early part of this year where I was pretty sick. And like not saying I had COVID, but who knows? It was around the right time of the year. I don't know if i were to take say a quote unquote antibody test because there's so many people that have contracted it and been asymptomatic or minor symptoms and they never got tested so they they have no way of knowing if they do roll out reliable antibody testing we might be able to get people back into the regular rotation of just everyday living provided we can prove that people have the antibodies to do it you know right. so that's you know i know they're working on a um You know, on a uh, what's it called on a uh, vaccine and everything of that nature. But an antibody test might be the next best thing to kind of, you know, get life, you know, rolling for people again. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, hopefully, yeah, they can get some some vaccines going, some antibody tests going and we can eventually kind of get things back to normal. Um, so next thing up here on the list, so this past weekend was the seven-year anniversary of the formation of the
2: Bullet Club. Well, it's the nine-year anniversary of Suzuki, Goon. And the fact that you didn't put that on the docket as part of what's going on, you got heat with Suzuki, not <laughs> me. Uh <laughs> I, I just want everyone to know that I'm not the one who put this on, on. god
1: okay I, I I've met Suzuki in New Orleans we, we we're, bro that
2: then, then why are you disrespecting him right now because uh, and his goon
1: <laughs> no respect to no disrespect for goon, but um, you know Bullet club is I think a more of a, a bigger deal for our audience and the audience in the west and just um just the, the impact that uh Bullet clubs had Literally worldwide, you look in all the major promotions right now, there is Bullet Club um, fingerprints all over the place.
2: Yeah, and there's Suzuki uh fingerprints all over the place, too. Archer, Davy Boy Smith.
1: <laughs> That's right, yeah, AW, MLW, yeah.
2: Shelton Benjamin. Shelton X X Benjamin. Oh my gosh. But since it is the 7 year anniversary of Bullet Club and that is always celebrated at Dontaku. Uh you know what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, it's you know it's cr- crazy kind of looking back, you know, on uh, New Japan World. You know, there's the recount that went through the Bullet Club history. There's also a a different version of like, a Japanese version that they put up on NJPW World and YouTube kind of going through the history of Bullet Club. And I watched that this weekend. It was just kind of cool just looking back from the very beginning. Prince Devitt turning on to Gucci, introducing his bouncer Bad Luck Fale and just the wave that started and getting your Tamatongas and your Carl Andersons and your Doc Gallows um, heck even your your Jeff Jarretts and Scott Demores, um, all the way you know getting your Young Bucks and Kenny and Hangman Cody all the way where we are now with Jay White and Taiji Shimori and all these guys and just seeing the impact that turn on Taguchi had On the wrestling business created one of the Hottest factions in all of wrestling Hot merch seller uh, Just the, the Population the the popularity Of New Japan in the west Largely on uh, Bullet Club and the Stuff that Kenny and the Bucks and AJ and all these guys were doing
2: Yeah absolutely Now let me ask you this this is I saw A tweet uh, earlier this week where um, and I won't name any names but there was a diehard new Japan fan who basically alluded to the idea why haven't former members well certain former members who went off to start their own certain company <laughs> 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 not congratulate the bullet club for you know their anniversary um, whilst you know the, a lot of people who have been involved with it you know people like Machine Gun, Carl Anderson, and others, so on and so forth, you know, Prince Devic, people who've been involved in the past have always, like, kind of thanked them for their support, and you know, being a part of it, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think it's it all plays into the same reason why they didn't show Kenny winning the U.S. title on that recount. It, there's obviously still some heat there between both parties. Both guys still have hurt feelings, so New Japan's not really mentioning the elite unless they're showing them lose. And you know the elite guys aren't really mentioning their time in New Japan or mentioning Bullet Club. You know they're they just, they stopped doing two sweets and suckets. So they're they have kind of moved on from that, so they're not going to. Well, they
2: had to, they had to do that because Vince.
1: <laughs> yeah, the uh, cease and desist. They have a
2: cease and desist. <laughs> but
1: yeah, but you know they're not. Yeah, they've, they've kind of moved on from that whole kind of Bullet Club stuff and they don't mention it at all you
2: know that's, all. those those are the signs of an unhealthy and hurting you know couple parties it's like when when uh you know a boyfriend or girlfriend or a boyfriend or boyfriend whatever when when two people were together at one point and then everyone kind of knows it was high profile they break it off and now they can't ever mention each other that that that's you hate to see that you hate to see that you hate to see, you hate to see it you hate to see it it's it, it's better when they're like you know they can they can say nice things about their former per- partner and, you know, you know, and just be cordial. And, you know, you, you, you would like to see that. But, you know, I think Kadani's heart's still broken. I think Matt Jackson's heart's still broken. So, you know,
1: well, clearly his back is still broken.
2: His back. Yeah, he's got to sell, <laughs> up. He's got to sell <laughs> for another two years. Um, he's at 13 percent right now, right?
1: Uh no so th- Nick Jackson's the one that's been doing percents but Matt did hurt his back in the, the match of versus Nick and he's like yeah I'm gonna have to sell my back for longer now <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh yeah Bull Club seven year anniversary so you know um a lot of people very you know excited about that diehard you know Bull Club fans out there and um, we'll see if the best is yet to come or if we are past the peak like many people think we are
1: <laughs> yeah so we'll see. So yeah, shout out to the Bullet Club 7 year anniversary We'll see what's down the line for the club in the future
2: And on behalf of the young boy Shout out to uh, Minoru Suzuki And the rest of Suzuki <laughs> <doing it>. Congratulations <laughs> on 9 years Of dominance and uh, You know, greater relevance Than the Bullet Club And I'm sorry for, for Jeremy, I don't know I don't know what to tell you He's wearing an LIJ shirt right now, so I don't know
1: Forgive me, Suzuki-san Um <laughs> So speaking of Lij, Tetsuya Naito had a uh, interview column on NJPW1972.com called "The Double Champs Downtime," kind of talking about what's go- he's been going through during the quarantine. And-, and essentially, this guy is trying to shoot angles in this interview, talking about him and Hiromu wrestling at Russell Kingdom.
2: Yeah, but when is Naito not trying to like work himself into an angle when he's doing interviews? Oh, like literally, he always is. So I'm not surprised by that at all.
1: Yeah, so, interesting comments there. Check that out. Also, we... um, That
2: kind of reminds me of, like, when Sean won the belt, and then he told Brett all the guys he's going to work with, he's like, well, I'm going to work Kid, and then Razor, (laughs) and then Diesel, (laughs) and then me and Hunter are going to do something. (laughs) Naito's out here like, I'm going to work Hiromu, and then Then me and Evil got something going, (laughs) Sonata, (laughs) Shingo. (laughs) And then Bushi <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh
1: uh, Also on NJPW1972.com There is um, A autobiography of Hiroshi Tanahashi Called Kindergarten of the Century And it's a life story that's uh, being told In interviews, the first time in English Of the autobiography of Hiroshi Tanahashi
2: Huh, that's cool
1: Then the uh, NJPW English Podcast had a watch-along with Gino and Kevin. They watched Kazuchika Okada versus Carl Anderson from the 2012 G1 Climax Final. Interesting match to watch with uh, Mr. Machine Gun on the free agency right now. Uh,
2: Yeah, I'm not too surprised uh, that they're doing that. You know, it's funny because... uh, Super J-Cast also reviewed that exact same match this past week. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, those two pack podcasts kind of stepping on on each other's toes. They didn't get the uh, best of the Super Junior final countdown memo. Uh, so they need to be wised up, you know.
1: Smarten up. <laughs>
2: Smart up, yeah. Uh,
1: lucky boxes are coming to the Token Shop Global. So, starting. Okay, what is,
2: what is a lucky box?
1: So, let me tell you. So, starting uh, May 1st, all fans have the chance to buy an online exclusive lucky box. These boxes are a better deal than the lucky bags are on the website. The lucky boxes are filled with $120 worth of goods, and they're selling them for $30. This is the biggest deal in the global shop right now. Don't miss out on these lucky uh. boxes.
2: All right, I just want to say this. I want a fucking lucky box.
1: <laughs> well, I, never
2: buy, I never buy wrestling merch ever. I want a lucky box, and I just want to throw it out there for Jeremy, Social Supplies <laughs> Podcast Network, and all the fans listening. My birthday is coming up May 15th. So if, if we can support my dream to get me $30 so I can have a lucky box, that that, that would mean a lot to me.
1: Yeah, if you if you uh, if you want to buy the young boy a lucky box, you can send me a DM. I'll send you the the, the address of the dojo. Or if you want to donate to our red circle at the thirty bucks, uh, I'll make sure that goes to uh, getting young boy a lucky box.
2: Bro, I will open that with a tear in my eye. <laughs> we'll do a a YouTube
1: reveal of you opening the lucky box.
2: Bro, you're gonna give. See, here's the thing, like. At first, I was like, you're going to give the listeners our home address? But then I thought, fuck it. We're real shooters. We're real about this shit. We don't care.
1: <laughs> I mean, we we invited a listener into this dojo that we didn't even... Come,
2: they, come to the fucking dojo. See what happens.
1: <laughs> uh, Reddit user, why did you do that bro who won uh, one of our contests? We had no idea what this guy looked like. It was actually a guy. Could have been a murderer, but... We welcomed him into our dojo He listened to the show He won the bro, contest that was,
2: that, that was my idea And Jeremy's like I don't know And I was like bro it, It'll be fine
1: uh, But yeah that, that was pretty cool So Yeah so We'll have to check out These, uh, these lucky boxes here On the uh, The global shop um, On YouTube right now In NJPW World We have Rocky Romero's Pro Wrestling English Lesson number one Did you happen to see this? <sighs>
2: I saw it, but I didn't know what it was, and I was like, "I already speak English, so I did not click on it."
1: <laughs> yeah. So, lesson number one was going over uh, the "This is awesome" chant, and uh, Rocky kind of explaining the 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 importance and the excitement behind uh, "This is awesome" and how you can use that during wrestling
2: events and even in your
1: everyday life. So,
2: is it is it like a it's a comedy skit?
1: Kind of. I mean. He, he's talking about this is awesome and when to do it during shows and then And when not to do it? No. He did not like talk mo- he did not talk about when not to
2: do it. Oh, okay, gotcha. Th- they need to do that video. When not to do wrestling chants. As I, here's one thing I will say about about you and I. Like we're not prideful people. Very, very, you know, humble. But one thing I pride myself on being is a good chant starter. Oh, yeah. We start we start chants that get over that catch on at the appropriate time. And I see these jokers coming out here in the middle in the middle of some mid-ass, you know, three star match, you know, on a Tuesday at Minreg, being like, This is awesome. And like, <laughs> uh, it makes me mad. And then when it does get over, but it's not actually awesome, it makes it worse because it's an embarrassment to the performers, it's an embarrassment to the crowd. And it makes me just not want to be there.
1: Yeah, I mean whether it is a Tampa Bay Pro Show with fifty people or a Dynamite taping with five thousand people, we we get chance over and we get the whole building rocking.
2: Yeah. Uh, so except for except for that time when I was like killing myself for Darby Allin against Cody and people you know people don't really know Darby like that yet. Oh, from we uh, yeah for Fighter Fest at Fighter Fest. Yeah, yeah we were, we we're going. We we're going hard for for Darby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that shit didn't get over at all.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I think it, it was a sound that building because I've watched that match back on tape, and there the, the Let's Go Darby chants were audible.
2: Okay, that's so, good.
1: Yeah, uh, there's another column up on NJPW1972.com. Fans bring the questions match with Kazuchika Okada. This is a first of three parts where. Fans have submitted questions, and Okada is answering them uh, via text through this column format on the NJPW website.
2: Well, other companies are doing matches that aren't actually matches, so why not New Japan?
1: <laughs> right. This is a lot safer. <laughs> and uh, last thing here, the free match of the week is Show versus Shingo Tatagi from the Best of the Super Juniors. Wow! What a yeah. what a banger that was.
2: Yeah, one of my favorite um, Super Junior matches of the tournament last year. When we did our countdown of the top ten matches of the year anywhere in the world last year, uh, or even just our top ten in New Japan, I can't remember. We did that for for uh, One Nation Radio, and I think Show and Shingo was still on my list. You know, I think it was, I think it was a match that was heralded as really great when it happened, and then. It was at the beginning of a fantastic tournament, and it almost kind of got forgotten about by the end of it because there's so many great matches. But, like, to me, Shoshingo was, like, a G1-level match that occurred in the best of the Super Juniors, both in, in quality and in style. So I, I really, really, really like that match, and I, you know, recommend it to the highest degree. If you're, you know, not doing anything this week, you should check this out, especially since it's free.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, this was one of those matches where there was, a, there was some, some build to it, because there was a whole rivalry with Shingo and Sho leading into this match, and th- through the tag team food, Punky 3 k and Bushi and Shingo, and Sho just trying to get the best of Shingo, and he couldn't, and that, all that built to this match, so it was kind of one of the few tournament matches that kind of actually had some long-term build going into it.
2: Dude, they've been building that match since Shingo entered the company in, like, what, August of the previous year? Yeah. Something like that? So, yeah, I mean, it had a, it had a very long-term build, and... Uh, you know, is a highly emotional match, so yeah, I loved it.
1: Nice. Well now let's uh, dive into the mailbag here. Got a lot of questions to answer. First from Reddit user highest fly flow. He says, What did you guys think of the Dontaku Tella Pro Wrestling thing New Japan uploaded? Personally, it felt much more geared to the Japanese fans and I ended up watching the matches in original form.
2: I did not watch this because it was in Japanese. And I don't speak Japanese, so I didn't watch. See, it works both ways. If they put something out in English, I already speak English, so I don't watch it. And then if they put it out in Japanese, I don't speak Japanese, so then I also don't watch it. So <laughs> both ways.
1: <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm just like Highest Fly Flow. I kind of started watching it, and the problem is the audio for the matches are low, and you're – Hearing So, essentially, these guys are on a Zoom call, pretty much, and they're watching a match. You're, you're hearing, like, Milano and Tai Chi, very audible. You're not really hearing the match. And so, for me, I'm like, I really don't – like, I'm not really – it's hard to kind of get into.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure any foreign language watch-along is like that. This is probably really great content if you speak Japanese. Just like some of the watch-along stuff that they've done in English probably doesn't appeal – to the japanese audience you know what i mean so right. no I, I i haven't watched it i don't even know what what matches from Dantaku they even uh you know did follow along for or anything like that yeah
1: the, the first one cause I, I clicked out of it pretty early it was uh D'Gucci and milano against gucci and somebody man it might have been gucci and devit or somebody like that You said
2: Taguchi and Milano against Taguchi and Debit? Taichi and Milano. Oh, oh, I was going to say, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like Undertaker versus Undertaker. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He also asks, he says, also, Jeremy, did you watch Sasaki versus Kobashi yet? We need a review from the pro pro black guy. I have not watched that match yet, but um, I'm going to find it this week
2: just watch it this week <laughs> yeah
1: I, i'm gonna find it because i actually i've loaded up some stuff in the queue that i want to watch you know I've been looking over you know you know what could be match of the year you know you know before we know it, the year is going to be over and also there's not that much stuff out there so i've been trying to catch up on some matches from across the world i haven't seen so i have a list but i will add this kibashi match on there and get that bro
2: watched. what's exciting to me is if the year ends right now I'm pretty sure that Nakanishi retirement match is going to be in our top 10 matches. Of the year. <laughs> oh my God. And that's pretty exciting for me. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> that match is great.
1: <laughs> um, his last question here can you talk about the Koji Kayato John Tenta match in which Kayato stopped selling and eventually started telling the crowd wrestling was fake? Did he get beat up backstage?
2: okay uh so he is talking about koji katao um versus john tenta from super world of sport so um koji katao very infamous and notable figure in the history of perazu um yeah he's just a very 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 like controversial character so I guess, quick backstory. So Koji Katao started as a sumo wrestler and he actually ascended, <clears throat> excuse me, he, he ascended to the rank of Yokozuna, which is the highest, I don't know that much about sumo, but apparently it's like the highest rank that you, it's like your grand champion type level. You you compete at the highest level and he's notable for being like one of the only Yokozunas to, to never have won like say a tournament ever in history. Which means like that's not good, <laughs> and um, there he there was some sort of issue between him and like his trainer, and he got into altercation with his trainer and his trainer's wife, and like like threw them both like down or something, and so he got uh, expelled from the sumo world like very quickly, and then he was working New Japan after after that, and um, like in the late eighties. And he was, like, he had some racial issues because he said some stuff about, like, Ricky Choshu being, like, uh, Korean. And, like, you know, he was racist, I guess, against him and stuff like that. And then just, like, kind of disrespectful to a lot of the boys. Mm. And so they didn't really tolerate that. And he kind of got kicked out. So come early 1990, 91, he goes to go work for SWS, which was, like, the number three company at the time. uh and Tenryu was supposed to be like the number one uh, domestic star, and they kind of brought in Koji Kato to be the number two star in the company. Because even though he w- he had a relatively short period of wrestling, he's a former Yokozuna, which is like, you know, it's like bringing in like a former top level boxer MMA star to, f- to wrestling. You know, like mm. he he was well known, and um,
1: like bringing in t- Kane Velasquez.
2: Something like Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you just you draw a huge house in Saudi Arabia. It's exactly the same thing. So, <laughs> so anyways. So, I don't know exactly what the deal is, but um John Tenta, they wrestled uh, on one of the first, like, early SWS shows. And John Tenta, you guys might know him better as Earthquake. He also is a former sumo wrestler. A very, very successful one as well. He did not get to the same level of rank, but He did, like, a year or two of sumo before his pro wrestling career. And um, he actually beat Koji Katao in their first match. So that kind of set – and he was the baby face. Like, the crowd cheered him over Katao. So they set up the second match. And this is, like, one of the weirdest, like, quote-unquote shoot matches in history. You know, it's when a work devolves into a shoot. And um, Koji Katao is just, like, not selling anything John Tenta throws at him. Um, completely being uncooperative. Un- and then at one point, they like start like really getting into it. The referee's like trying to intervene. And Koji tell like, is- starts like trying to put his thumb in-, in John Tenta's eye. And John Tenta's like slobbering and screaming. I was like, this is pro wrestling. And then, um, like, Katow just like loses his shit. He goes out of the ring. He like takes like a table and throws it at the ring and shit. And then, um, he gets on the mic and he's like, pro wrestling is fake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And then like Earthquakes like gets his hand raised. Uh, that's pretty much the whole thing. I mean, it's a very infamous thing that happened. Ultimately, the only thing I do know for a fact is Great Kabuki was like the head booker of SWS. And apparently he he they found out through an investigation that he tried to goad uh, Kochi Katao into doing something like this, and he actually told john tenta to do something in the match to like elicit this type of reaction i don't i never have seen what what john tenta did to to deserve this reaction from koji but uh they fired great kabuki for this incident so um last funny fact koji katao ended uh ended up um going to uwfi uh years later after training in martial arts and getting a black belt in karate and he was supposed to, like, have a super dream fight with Takata. And they, like, agreed to fight to a draw. And Takata was like, nah, I'm, I'm going to double cross his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and Takata high-kicked the shit out of him early on in the match and knocked him the fuck out. <laughs> I mean, completely out. It's, like, one of the craziest <laughs> knockouts ever. And it's a shoot. And they like put it in all their video packages For for, like years (laughs) until the company Went out of business (laughs) Oh my gosh wow That's crazy Yeah, Yeah. So there's that story
1: (laughs) Uh, Next question here From Reddit user Grunty Dodds How did Fale get the Bad luck part of his name A bad weekend in Vegas Based on who he's dating he should be called Luckiest SOB in the world Fale
2: uh, you know, I I haven't really seen. Did Bad Luck Fale ever have a different name?
1: <laughs> yeah, so he was originally King Fale before right. joining the Bullet Club, and then once Devitt turned onto Gucci, and that was the first time they announced him as Bad Luck Fale, I believe.
2: Okay, I do remember him being King Fale. I'm I do I I never like realized when his name changed though, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, that's too bad because I was gonna make a joke about like Baba Tunde being good luck Folly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh no, that's pretty funny, yeah. No, he's he never was anything other than he was bad luck folly and then he was King Folly before that, so yeah.
1: Yeah, so Devitt called him that. I don't know if that's that was Devitt's idea, or they came up that in the back somehow. I don't know where it came from, but
2: I think it's cause when he fucks people up he goes, Sorry for your bad luck. Mm. I don't know. I just made that up. I
1: don't know. <laughs> uh, next question's here from Muzza Murray Bone. His first question, who do you prefer, Kijimuto or the Great Muta? Uh,
2: You know, I like Kijimuto. I-, I like the Great Muta, obviously. Everyone likes the Great Muta. But, like, when I think about, like, some of the classic, like, IWGP title runs and classic, like, G1 runs and, and stuff like that, I think of, like, Kijimuto, and, you know, I, I like Kijimuto, so, yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I personally haven't seen much uh, match, Kijimuto matches, I'm more familiar with, uh, you know, his alter personality, the great Muta, um, so I'm gonna have to go with Muta for now.
2: Okay. Now, this is a great question from uh, Murray Bone. He said, wow, only a few people have done this accomplishment of winning the IWGP, the Triple Crown, and the GHC heavyweight title in their career. Has anyone ever done the junior equivalent of this? Meaning, has anyone ever won the top junior title in all three companies? And then he said, I know Kanemaru has done it once. Jeremy, this man just said, "I know <laughs> Kanemaru has done it once." Oh my gosh! What Kanemaru do you know that has ever won the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title?
1: I do not know a Kanemaru who has won the IWGP Junior Title. I know a Kanemaru who's won the Junior Tag Titles, <laughs> <laughs> but but not the IWGP Single Junior Heavyweight Title.
2: Yeah, man, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Uh, now, um, do you know the answer of? Because there's only been one person in history who's ever done this. That would be Marafuji. Ah, now Michi Marafuji. So uh, Murray, there's your answer. I now I do wonder. I, at first, I was I was wondering. I was like, ha, Do you think anyone has ever done it um, with the earlier versions? Because before they before they had the, the world junior heavyweight title in all Japan, they used to have the NWA international junior title. That was like their top uh, junior belt. And then in new Japan, it was the WWF junior heavyweight title. And I was like, man, I wonder if someone's ever won both of those. And then I remembered like, Oh, Noah didn't exist until 2000. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think anyone's ever, I don't think anyone did it with those belts. So yeah, it's just Marifuchi.
1: Next question from Rich Latta. He says, Jeff Jarrett is the what number greatest member of the Bull Club.
2: Well, I wish we had some music right now so we could play, like we let's play a game. Do, 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 what? Do, do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have all the members of the Bull Club here. There have been like around 30. We can go them through them very quickly, and we can say, like, who he said. He, who's greater right
1: like yeah what number greatest so in that list of 30 what number okay. would he be
2: so i and w- let's let's set some parameters here because overall like truth be told jeff Jarrett's a hall of famer you know and uh, for many different regards but let's talk about how great of a member he was in the faction right that will be the criteria here because so, he, he never even had a match right I don't – I think he might have. It's. I think he might have had like a multi-man match with them or something like that. Okay. I know he seconded them on a few occasions because, I mean, he was like quote-unquote technically with them from August 10th, 2014 until January 4th, 2015. Mm. So uh, let's go through the list here and you tell me who you think is greater just real quick. Okay. Adam Cole or Jeff Jarrett? Adam Cole, baby. AJ Styles or Jeff Jarrett? AJ Styles. This is all alphabetical. (laughs) Jeff Jarrett or or Amber Gallows?
1: (laughs) Uh, I think I'm going to have to go with the uh, the Bullet Club Babe.
2: Okay. Uh, Bone Soldier, the original Bone Soldier or Jeff Jarrett? Hmm. Uh, You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give Jarrett this one. Okay, Brandy Rhodes or
1: Jeff Jarrett. Oh, Brandy. Okay, Cody. Cody. Cody Hall.
2: Uh, I don't know. He was with them for like a, a pretty long time. I'd have yeah. to say Cody yeah, Hall. Yeah, yeah, go Cody Hall. Um, Doc Gallows. Go the Doc. Okay, here's here's an easy one. El Terrible. El Terrible. Yep. Taribla was part of the Bullet Club. There was Bullet Club Latino America <laughs> from twenty thirteen from for like six or seven months in, in twenty
1: thirteen. All right, well, I am going Jarrett on that one then. Okay, Frankie Kazarian or Jeff Jarrett? Uh, well, Kazarian well, mean, was this whole thing a work to? Uh... He was in
2: there for like a month.
1: So yeah, I'll go. And I'll, it was like a work. Yeah, let's get Daniel's uh, heat on them. So I'll go. I'll go Jarrett.
2: Okay, Hangman Adam Page. Hangman. Carl Anderson. Anderson. Kenny Omega.
1: Osi Omega.
2: La Commandante.
1: Gonna go Jared on that one.
2: <laughs> Mephisto.
1: Gonna go Jared on that one.
2: Marty Skrull. Skrull. Nick and Matt the Young Bucks. Young Bucks. Prince Devitt. Devitt. Ray Bucanero.
1: Gonna go Jared on that one.
2: Uh Robbie Eagles. Eagles. Steven Amell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I'll go Jared on that one.
2: Scott Demore. I'll go Jared on that one. And you know what? I'm going to put Jared over the Bullet Club, uh, babe. So that means out of like that means you got nine nine members there uh, that are former members that he is lower than. No, there's nine that he's higher than. Right. Total. And then let's just uh, talk about the, the current members. You Tangaloa, take, yeah, pretty much all the current members. I would Hickaleo. Yeah, I, I'll take Hickaleo over him. All right, so let's let's do the math here. So we got 12 current members. So 36 total members, including Jarrett. So he's like the 26th best member of the <laughs> <Bullet> club. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Rich also asks, is Jeff Jarrett the only man to beat in both the NWO and Bullet Club, LOL?
2: Yeah, he is the only person to ever be. They did briefly offer a spot to Scott Norton in the midst of a match during uh, um, New Year's Dash one, uh, after the Tokyo Dome show um, when it was Team 2000 versus Bullet Club. But uh, Scott Norton did not take them up on the offer. Mm. but yeah uh jeff jarrett was a member of now think about this jeff jarrett his connection to the bullet club was through global force wrestling a company that like basically didn't even exist
1: right they promoted the uh, wrestle kingdom 9 pay-per-view um i mean that was pretty much the extent of their partnership right there
2: (laughs) And then he um, also, like, you know, working all those people out of their money for those travel packages that were super overpriced. Right. Um, and then there and were then he, there,
1: there was those tapings they did. And I believe, like, Carl Anderson worked there, them. And there, there were some New Japan guys that worked those, like, tapings that, like, never made air.
2: And then his connection to the NWO is that he was a member of NWO. 2000. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so like his, his like affiliation with both groups is like very shaky at best. <laughs> and, and keep in mind. So the only people that we said that he was a better member than was like Scott, Damore, Amber gallows and the Lucha bone Wars. soldier and like all of the Latino guys. And that's it. Anyone else who was like any sort of like actual member, we've ranked <laughs> higher than him. <laughs>
1: Uh, next question from Maserati He says how long until Yujiro betrays Bullet club and reforms no limit So Naito can have a three belts
2: Yeah it's never going to happen
1: <laughs> I mean if Naito Really wanted a tag belt why wouldn't he just team With you know the superior guys That are in his faction over Yudro
2: Naito's lucky he's got two belts Right now
1: That's true <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next question from Diego Imahara. I think I'm sure I'm butchered your last name, Diego, uh, but he says, "Why? Why does Stardust Naito use almost the same moves as Tanahashi and Muto?"
2: Um, does he?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I have not watched. I have not seen much of Stardust Naito, so I honestly I can't say. But I'm assuming that if he was using a lot of Tanahashi and Muto moves, obviously those guys were aces and top guys of the promotion, and he was trying to work to that level. So maybe using some of their moves, he was trying to, I don't know, get the rub that way. I don't know.
2: Well, okay, I'll say this. Um, You know, the history of Tetsuya Naito as being the stardust genius, there was always that idea that he was like, the next level and the future of the company beyond tanahashi that's or at least that's what they thought back then mm-hmm. when he was up and coming uh you know tanahashi was trained by kiji muto and emulated his style in many different ways and um i do know for a fact that a lot of like naito's offense and and uh even just his character, many of his like s- statements, and a lot of his persona was based off the Tanahashi character. It's a, it's a large reason why the Stardust Genius was ultimately rejected by the fans. It was because he was too similar to the ace that had preceded him. Um, so that might be a, a brief answer. I don't know if he intentionally. I know he wasn't trained by Muto. He's trained by Animal Hamaguchi. I don't know if, like, it was ever, like, stated that he was trying to do similar moves to them. And I, I don't even know how far that really extends, to be honest. Like, I've watched both guys extensively, and I've never been like, oh, he's doing a bunch of Shining Wizards and doing a bunch of... <laughs> uh, sling blades. <laughs> you know, dra- dragon screws. and you know, I You know, I think that there are similarities for sure, but yeah.
1: All right, moving on to Josh number two. He says... Who has, who so far has underdelivered the most when you expected the matches to be five stars?
2: Is he is he talking about the project that we're doing, or is he talking about um, like in New Japan history? I
1: mean, uh, I'm not sure. I, for when, when I read it, I thought he was just talking about in like New Japan history, but he could be talking about the project as
2: well. Well, luckily, I am friends with Josh, so <laughs> I can just message him and ask him what he meant here. Um, well, why don't we move on to the next question well, before why we, we answer this? answer both versions? Uh, because I don't have a good answer prepared for either version. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, so, so how? Okay, how do you want to do that?
1: All right. So, well, let's talk about the final countdown first, then, since it's, it's, you know we have all those matches here. So, okay. So out of everything we've watched so far, has there been a match where you were like, oh, these two guys are in it, this should be your banger, and it wasn't?
2: Um, yeah, I thought the Pegasus Kid El Samurai match could have been better, and it wasn't. Um, I also thought that the Otani Pegasus... Actually, that might be one of the biggest disappointments for me was while well, Pegasus and Shinjiro Tani 95, that really disappointed me. And then um, more recently from this tournament, I mean, we'll get into it, but uh, the Tiger Mask matches just don't click for me, like hardly at all. I, I think Tiger Mask, for, for the period, for all the hype about him being like the best junior of the, of the era, like I think he kind of, I, granted, I've only seen the limited amount of his work from that time period, but I think kind of sucks.
1: Yeah, for me, I think overall, I think the the Koji Kanemoto and Tiger Mask match.
2: Oh, um, uh, we'll get into it here. Yeah,
1: we'll get into later. it later. Might be one of the ones where I was like, "Oh, okay, my my dog Koji Kanemoto in the finals again." <laughs> 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 and yeah, that was not what I was expecting. And I would agree with you also with the the Pegasus Kid El Samurai from you know week one. I'm like, it's Benoit El Samurai like. I expect, to you know Maybe not five stars, but maybe four and a half And, uh, it wasn't quite that So Now, um,
2: as, as far as like Just in general, I don't know
1: Uh, well, I'm trying to think back To, um, all It's hard thinking back to All the matches that we've watched Over the years So, I mean, this is going to be kind of recency bias But, I mean, the one the thing that comes to the top of my mind Is Naito and Kenta uh,
2: yeah, that was disappointing. I thought that was going to be a lot better than it ended up being.
1: Um, like I wasn't expecting five again. Yeah, I wasn't expecting five stars, but I was expecting that to be a, a higher level IWGP title match. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think he must have been talking because when he says who so far has delivered the most.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe he was talking about the uh,
2: the project. I think he must be talking about the project. Because I'm like, who so far has under-delivered the most when you expected the match to be five stars? I'm like, unless he's to- just talking about the year. I guess if, if we're talking about the year, I mean, that would be the one big match that really under-delivered for me was Naito and, and Kenta.
1: Yeah. So, uh, moving on next to Kyle Martin, who has a series of questions here. Um, so, his first one and,
2: and, we, and we'll spend time, but we got to go through them quickly so we can get... Uh, to the to the meat of the final countdown
1: yeah so this first question how did the both of you get introduced to new japan and when did both of you begin investing or watching regularly either of you recall any matches or storylines that made you want to see more
2: uh well i guess for me just very briefly my most of my exposure to Puro comes from you know the early days of the internet um stuff I'd seen on tape because my brother's, you know, love for pro wrestling. But, you know, a lot of it was brought on from seeing like Japanese death matches. And, uh, really the introduction was the 94 super junior tournament. I mean, that was the, the kind of the gateway for, I think most people in the States and it definitely was for me. Um, as far as like regularly watching it, I mean, keep in mind until new Japan world existed, it was very hard to be like a regular watcher. You just, you know, at, in the early days, people were tape traders. I was never really a tape trader. So I, it wasn't until like the internet came around and I could find stuff on websites and I would go and watch whatever I could find on the websites that I knew was out there. But, you know, it, we're living in a great time now where over the past five, six, seven years, it's been relatively easy to find a lot of this stuff, whether it be on New Japan World or streaming sites, things of that nature.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, for me, um, you know, 1st started recognizing, obviously, Japanese talent in WCW, growing up watching wrestling that way, and then, you know, I watched a lot of TNA and Ring of Honor. you see a lot of the Japanese guys come, come from there, and you you would hear the name New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, but it really didn't really stick with me uh, throughout all that. It wasn't until Wrestle Kingdom 9, the, the show we talked about that Jeff Jarrett and Global Force produced, you know, they had all these videos with. AJ Styles, who I was very familiar with with his TNA run, and Jim Ross. And it's like, obviously, I'm familiar with Jared. seemed like a really big deal. I was like, I need to check the show out. Watched it. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, and then from there, I kind of started just watching Wrestle Kingdoms. And then Wrestle Kingdom 10 was awesome. I was like, all right, maybe I need to start checking out more of this, not just Wrestle Kingdoms. And from there, you start watching big matches. And then obviously, with the start of Keeping It Strong Style in November of 2017. That's when I was full go watching every single show, um, every road to pay per view, Lionsgate, everything. So,
2: yeah. Uh, his next question, were either of you watching TNA between oh six oh nine? Do you guys know anything about New Japan TNA's partnership? And have have you seen how it was on New Japan's end? I liked their Global Impact specials, but it felt a, a little one sided in TNA's favor.
1: Yeah, so I was watching TNA during that time period, and I mean, from what I can understand, it was kind of like the partnership that they have with Ring of Honor right now. They were the their American partner. They sent over their young lions there for excursion, and kind of, like you mentioned, yeah, it was a little bit one-sided on TNA's side. A lot of their young lions weren't really treated well as far as push-wise or you know tv time or dates or they were kind of given bad gimmicks awkward gimmicks um and it just wasn't really a big help for a lot of the guys <sighs> that sent over there
2: yeah um i mean yeah i watched tna around that time period uh i mean that pretty much to me seems like uh what probably their prime right yeah the pre-hogan era like 06 to 09
1: yes yeah, the, the, um, the spike tv era
2: yeah but um I don't know i mean i wasn't like invested like i wasn't like watching like i mentioned at that time being able to watch new japan was not an easy task just for the general population but i mean I, you would you would find tapes or you would find stuff on the internet um i don't think it was completely one-sided i think from a business perspective it might have been a, a little bit one-sided i agree with you on that jeremy um but as far as uh like Kyle's assertion that it was one-sided when it comes to like the presentation of the matches. I don't think that's true. I just think that when you watch the global impacts, they pretty much just showed the matches where their guys won. (laughs) (laughs) If you watch like the full, like Tokyo Dome cards and stuff like, you know, their guys lost. I mean, Nakamura beat Kurt Angle's ass and took that belt. (laughs) (laughs) Right. When
1: when it was like big star versus big star, like, New Japan guys that would go over, but when they would bring in obviously, and I think that one of the main things that kind of soured the relationship was just the, the treatment of Okada and the way they
2: treated Okada is what fucked up the entire relationship. That's that's how much Okada meant to the company at yeah. that point in time.
1: Yeah, they gave him, you know, this um Okada it was Okato gimmick and he was Samoa, yeah. Samoa Joe's sidekick, and it was like the Green Hornet kind of gimmick, and
2: yeah. Dude, like To this day, they won't work with Impact, and it's not even owned or ran by the same people that were there at the time. Like, completely different people, and they're like, oh, y'all was TNA? Nah, fuck (laughs) y'all.
1: Right. Run by Don Callis, somebody they know, who who they had a relationship with, who's been on there. It's their their boy. Yeah.
2: It's their boy running it, and they're like, nah, fuck that. We (laughs) ain't fuck with that. (laughs) 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 We ain't fuck with no TNA.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, so his next question: Do either of you have a favorite all-time tournament or a favorite year in specific for any tournament, start to finish?
2: Um, the G one, uh, not last year's G one, but the G one before. So it's probably twenty eighteen. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably the best G one of all time.
1: Yeah. So for me, yeah, favorite tournaments. Yeah, G one one twenty eighteen. Was incredible And also um, Last year's Best of Super Junior Tournament From start to end I really enjoyed And obviously There's several stories In there With with Shingo dominating Osprey coming back The whole Osprey ELP Eagles Situation Shingo show There were so many Little mini stories And rivalries And great matches All throughout that tournament I really enjoyed Also, And, and then the grand finale Of Shingo and Osprey
2: Yeah, the tournament that I'm mentioning, the 2018 one, um, the A block was kind of sorry, but that B block was like an all-time, like, oh my god, because you had Kenny, you had uh, Naito, you had Ishii, you had Abushi, you had Zack Sabre, like, it was so crazy. (laughs) That that was a danger block. (laughs) That, That block was crazy, so yeah.
1: Uh, next question. We are now one year moved from G one supercard. How do you guys feel about Jay white being a former IWGP champion? Do we think his reign helped him hindered him or k tarnished the world titles lineage?
2: Um, he was a transitional champion through the first quarter of a year. I, I think he was fine. Um, I think it was a good first title run for him to kind of establish him as, as being like one of the top four guys in the company I think the reign helped him a lot, and I think it helped the company as well in In the middle of a time when they were losing their top guys to AEW.
1: Yeah, I think it definitely elevated his stock. It helped create a new star. Um, I think the title reign helped him. I don't think it tarnished the, the lineage of the IWGP title whatsoever. Uh,
2: and it was the payoff to the year-long story that had been going on between Okada and Jay White. Right. So yeah. So yeah, I think I think some of that was overblown at the time. I think I th- I thought it was great. Yeah.
1: Uh, his next question. Should all wrestling promotions allow fans to make honest, unbiased historical lists for them? Call me cynical, but I feel like lists made by quote unquote the companies are either some hot take propaganda or just skewed by revisionists. See every WWE documentary as ever as my example.
2: Um Yes and no, because I mean, if you're if you're a company, you've got to control your own content, obviously. So I mean, that's just part of that's the nature of the beast. Um, I agree with you. I mean, you go on like the network and you you try to watch something that they produced that's like a best of list, and it's like, oh god, this. Pr- you know what though? I will say this. I don't know why, but WWE.com, whoever used to make the like top matches of the year for WWE.com, was always way more accurate than anything else that wwe like for content was putting out i don't know why right because i think the, i don't know if that
1: i think the com team were kind of on their own little island in the office like i don't think like vince was vince wasn't really checking like what was going on, on com. like as long as content's up there and the, the web views are up like do whatever you guys want and like they would yeah they would be cool list that they would put together
2: yeah because they'd be doing like slammy awards and you know uh match of the year awards and stuff like on tv that was like completely bullshit and then you go like you'd go online and look at like what the WWE.com like group said and it's like totally opposite <laughs> all right
1: it, it was more legit to what it was what it actually should have been
2: yeah but um i mean you know if you're new japan pro wrestling for instance and you're talking about like you know best matches of all time or something and it's like a bunch of k omega matches i mean i don't know i don't know if i want the fans making that list for me <laughs> <laughs> you know so um you know, it, bro, It's it, the, the first part of it was wrestling, but the second part was promotion. And the company's got to promote themselves and their best interests. I mean, th- there's a reason why there are fan lists that are out there where people like you and I and, you know, podcasts like this can come out here and talk about what we want to talk about, you know, without, for instance, if this show, hypothetically, let's say New Japan called us up tomorrow and said, you know, we're going to pay you money to do the show we would do it, <laughs> <laughs> but it wouldn't be the same show. Like we, we'd be out here like some Ryan Satin bitches. Like, you know, <laughs> like that's just, that's, that's the deal. Like if you, you know what I'm saying? Like, so no, they would never like n- company should not let the fans run the, the, the shit. Like it, it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah. Totally. Totally agree with you. Um, and his last question, who would you guys consider as the most successful black wrestler in new Japan history? I'm just asking because One Nation Radio brought up how hard it was for black people to get over in Japan. I don't understand why or know anything about the culture, but it just got me curious since I've only seen Ricochet, ACH, and Cheeseburger.
2: Um, It's got to be Bob Sapp, right? I would think, yeah. I mean, Bob Sapp is the most successful and important sports icon in Japan who's black that I can think of. Um, not just in wrestling but just in general as an entertainer as a wrestler as a mma fighter as a kickboxer like he's he's that guy or at least he was at one point um he was a pretty terrible pro wrestler but (laughs) 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 he was extreme i mean he's the only black iwgp champion so i mean that says something for you he's also the only gaijin i think that's ever won the tokyo sports uh you know, MVP award. And, and so, I mean, that that's a pretty big deal. It tells you a lot there. Um, but, I mean, uh, there's two ways to think about it. It's like, on the one end, I could come out here and be like, I can name you a bunch of black wrestlers that have had success in New Japan. But, you know, th- there's always, like, room for more cultural diversity. You also have to keep in into context that, there's not a lot of black people in Japan. (laughs) Right. There just really isn't. Like Japan's not that diverse a place because everyone speaks Japanese and, you know, it's, it's not like in other countries where, you know, for instance, like America, like English is a much more like international language that many other countries speak. But like Japanese is Japanese because people speak that in Japan. Um, so I mean, they've had a lot of successful black wrestlers. I, I don't know if they've ever had someone that they really, really pushed or got behind like Bob Sapp. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things in wrestling. I mean, you look at the indie scene and you kind of look at who gets pushed and just the the layout of promotions and there's a, there's a lot of, you know, dominantly white wrestlers and promotions <sighs> out there. So it kind of translates to the guys who are... You take that percentage of that, of people who are traveling to Japan obviously not that many black wrestlers are going over there. So it's kind of one of those weird things.
2: Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, um, early different style fights that I know he did were like Willie Williams, guys like that. Uh, there's a couple other ones that I can't think of of their name. Eddie Everett, uh, is another one, you know, uh, obviously Ali. So, you know, he kind of like fought a lot of like black fighters. Um, some of the MMA guys that were black, Kevin Randleman, um I know Ernesto Hoost, I don't know if they all fought in in uh, New Japan. obviously that's the, that's the kind of the funny thing though, is when MMA was a big deal and so was like K1, there's ob- when it's a real sport, obviously a lot of like black athletes are going to um, excel at it, you know, and not just black athletes like a lot of diverse, you know, athletes just because that's the nature of it. It's an actual contest that has a lot of different people who are involved in it. Whereas with pro wrestling, there might not be as many like diverse people that are actually involved or pushed that are involved with it. You know what I mean? So that's, that is the one interesting thing is like when you talk about shoot sports that have been over there, like in Pancrase and pride and all that, there, there's a lot of stars that were black and then you look at like the pro wrestling companies and yeah, it's not as much. And maybe there is a level of, uh, I mean, I can't say for sure because I have never worked there and it's just tough cause we don't speak the language. So we don't know all the culture and everything like that. But is it possible that there has been some level of like prejudice? Like probably just like the rest of like pro wrestling history, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's probably, but I don't know for a fact. Yeah.
1: Well that wraps up all the questions For this week thank you guys for submitting Your questions for the show And now it's time to move Into week four Of the final countdown So, to recap from week three, we covered Best of Super Junior finals from 1999 to 2003. So, in ninety nine, we talked about Kendo Kashin defeating Koji Kanamoto, uh, Takaiwa defeating Shinjiro Otani, Shushin Thunder Liger defeating Minoru T- Tanaka. In 2002, Koji Kanamoto defeating uh, Mo- Minoru Tanaka. And then in 03, we had Kakihara defeating Koji Kanamoto, which now brings us to 2004. And so, we're actually going to start here with Best of the American Super Juniors.
2: Aw, oh, shit. We hit him <laughs> with that bonus. Uh,
1: best of the American Super Juniors Final 2004. And so, this tournament happened April 16th, 2004. And this was the Anoki Dojo presenting the first ever American Best of the Super Junior tournament in Santa Monica, California. And the winner of the tournament would go to Japan and compete in the 2004 Best of Super Juniors tournament in Japan. Um, And while this event was filmed by the Inoki Dojo, most people only saw it after a local tape dealer filmed the event and sold the event on DVD on their website. Um, A fan cam version of the event um, is a lot of the only ways people would be able to see it in the future, and no official video release of the event came out. So the match... Uh, the final match here. Uh, well, actually, let's talk about the people in the tournament first. So uh, you want to go ahead and list those participants?
2: Yeah, so it's a who's who of, you know, the top American uh, indie-style workers of the time. And keep in mind, the idea of this tournament was to find the best American Super Juniors. They had to literally be of American descent um, or, you know, in Western or whatever. So you had the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Sean X Pac Waltman, Chad Collier, Bobby Quantz, Rocky Romero, Iceman Webster Dolphini, Ricky Reyes, and Teddy Hart. And um, yeah, this was, like Jeremy mentioned, promoted by the Inoki Dojo, which was New Japan's uh, dojo that they had. You know, a lot of people only know now of the LA Dojo that exists at this current time, but back in the early 2000s, They had one in L.A. that was also, you know, their dojo that was run by Antonio Inoki.
1: Right. And if you go back in the archive and listen to our interview with Rocky Romero for the 100th episode of Keeping It Strong, we kind of talked about his time in the Inoki Dojo and kind of the differences between the Inoki Dojo and the L.A. Dojo now. Um, So speaking of Rocky Romero, he made his way to the finals of this tournament to go against American Dragon Brian Danielson, and like I mentioned, uh, this match that we watched on YouTube is a fan cam recorded on somebody's handheld camera, so not the best quality video or audio, and the link to that match, it will be in the show description, also there's a Google Doc that I have with all the links to all the matches that we've been watching, so... I don't out. know
2: what you're talking about when you when you mentioned the audio not being good because those fans that are recording this, their audio is fantastic. <laughs> all, all the little snide comments and stuff—it's <laughs> great.
1: Uh, so yeah, so the final match here: American Dragon Brian Nelson versus Rocky Romero. Winner goes to Japan. So, what were your thoughts so, on this match?
2: Yeah, so you know when you talk about Inokiism. Uh, there's probably no place where inoki was more rampant than Inoki's personal dojo in America. Uh, you know, anytime you've talked, you know, I've read interviews and reports over the years of the guys that spent time there. And it's a who's who of, of big names in the wrestling industry. Um, and amongst them were these two top finalists, Brian Danielson and Rocky Romero. And like you mentioned, when we interviewed Rocky, he talks about how when they would go to train, they were like, Oftentimes like working like MMA fighters, you know <laughs> right <laughs> and, and basically like having shoots and stuff like that. And that became very, very evident because while many of the um, heavyweight style fights in New Japan in this era were heavily influenced by Nokiaism and very much like shoot style, we've only seen little hints of it in these super junior matches. I would not I wouldn't say that any of the matches we've watched so far, really delved completely into shoot you know what I mean the Kakihara and Kenamoto match probably the closest thing but then when you watch this match it's a whole different beast altogether you're talking two guys that are like actually grappling like like basically like amateur catch wrestling and then they are throwing fucking hard kicks and hard knees and hard elbows at each other not just like working i mean this is way beyond You know, work, which is funny because if you watch a lot of early ROH or early indie wrestling from the 2000s, there's a bunch of guys that used to do that stuff. You know, low key Samoa Joe, Roderick Strong. And it's kind of one of those trends that I think probably for the better has kind of dissipated because it's not so popularized anymore. Mm -hmm. But back then. These guys would kick the shit out of each other, and that's yeah. what they were doing in this match. Yeah, they're the, all
1: the strikes were so hard. Like you mentioned, the kicks, the, the, the chops, and the slaps. Yeah, these guys, like, you want to talk about strong style? Like these guys were <laughs> hitting the crap out of each other. You know, they really didn't work outside the ring. There were a couple spots where they fell outside the ring, but they got right back in immediately. They, they weren't like throwing each other into guardrails or doing high spots outside. A lot of the stuff was in the middle, in the ring. They're exchanging holes, putting each other in holes, a lot of grappling, suplexes, submission attempts, um, very little high flying. There was a couple uh top rope spots, but not many.
2: Towards the um now the early part of this, like I mentioned, was extremely shoot uh influenced. And then I would say like that, that was probably the first third. The second third kind of moved more into like uh like a lot more conventional wrestling submission holds based type of deal. Mm -hmm. And then the last third kind of turns into an indie wrestling fest where they start running the ropes, doing high spots. Um, I'm not saying jumping off the top rope, but like, you know, your high spots, you know, you know, jump over and run over and, you know, lots of, lots of big, uh, you know, throws and stuff like that. Suplexes. And it, so it's kind of like a, a, a match in, in three acts, basically, is the way I saw it. Yeah. And they didn't—they weren't really going for the finish until, like, that final third act, basically. Right. Yeah, and so uh,
1: towards the the end there, um, Rocky hits a big leg lariat, and he's just throwing several strikes. And he hits a fisherman suplex for a near fall. Uh, Brian kicks out and transitions into uh, cattle mutilation. His uh, old ROH finish there, and then he transitions into a, a double chain wing pin for a near fall. Um, both men get up on their feet, and they're exchanging heavy strikes. Brian gets uh, Rocky on the top rope. Rocky fights out. It's a missile drop kick, then a flying armbar, but then Brian escapes and hits a Regoplex
2: and gets the win here. Yeah, I liked the way he hit the Regal It kind of just came from out of nowhere. And, um, you know, Rocky was, like, um, going for that flying armbar on multiple occasions throughout the match, and it seemed like that's what he was trying to win with. And uh, I, I guess what I just liked about it was that this really seemed like a very competitive, action-filled match, where like it kind of, the, the chains of uh, and swings of momentum just kind of went back and forth the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there weren't really too many control spots or segments. Like these guys were just kind of equal the whole entire time, and then Brian escaped and hit him with the Regalplex and just kind of caught him. And he was the better man that night.
1: Right. It wasn't this kind of big, like, drawn-out, like, super finisher or anything. It was, like, literally, I, I caught you with this the this, this suplex that's into a pin, and I, I got you.
2: Yeah. The, now, um, I thought the match was really good. I, I wouldn't go super high in it because, A, the match was a little short, um, and, B, there wasn't much story to it. I mean, it was, the action was good, and it was well-worked, but it was kind of like I just mentioned. It was just kind of like an athletic competition between two guys. There wasn't a lot of drama there yeah this sort of reminded me like a really good opener, yeah to, like this this could have opened almost any big show, but it didn't have the feel of a main event whatsoever,
1: yeah, I want about three and a half stars on here, like I thought the work was really good um i think I think it's a fair rating for the amount of time, like you mentioned the atmosphere and just the the style of match it was, and just, just what what the match was overall. <sighs>
2: Yeah, I would, I would uh, generally agree with that. I think the main reason I wanted us to kind of review this was, A, it's a rare match. A lot of people don't know about it. And I think it, w- it was a really cool thing to kind of take a look into the background uh, of, you know, an early match for Brian Danielson and um, Rocky Romero, especially the fact that it was like an Inoki Dojo type of thing. And, you know, we kind of wanted to, the, the whole idea of this project was to cover every Best of the Super Juniors uh, tournament final, and this is a tournament final.
1: (laughs) Right, and yeah, it plays right into the Japanese Best of the Super Junior final in 2004.
2: Yeah, now um, I know you don't have notes on this, but I actually do, so um, really, really good match. Um, After the tournament, Brian Danielson would go on to compete in the 2004 Best of the Super Juniors tournament in Japan. He would finish second in his block, which is block A, just behind uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. He'd go into the playoffs and be eliminated in the semifinals by Koji Kanemoto. Um, so he had a really good showing, got a lot of points, didn't make it. Uh, the Best of America Super Juniors tournament would return a year later, but not the reason we didn't cover it because it was covered. It was uh, actually held by Ring of Honor uh, in 2005 in New Jersey. That tournament would feature Brian Danielson, Brian Kendrick, Matt Seidel, Alex Shelley, James Gibson, Roderick Strong, Rocky Romero as Black Tiger 4, and Dra- Dragon Soldier B, which was Kendo Cashin. Keep in mind, this is the best of the American Super Juniors. <laughs> Rocky would go on to advance to the finals as Black Tiger 4 and would lose in the finals to Dragon Soldier B kendo cashin <laughs> won the best of the american super juniors <laughs> in 2005 and not only was it a match that i've heard was not very good but number two he would not compete in the 2005 best of the super juniors as either himself or as a uh, dragon soldier b so kind of you know it was there was a lot of negative feedback to, for ring of honor for having a, a new japan guy win the tournament it made no sense
1: yeah kind of kind and then, um, the gimmick there
2: the Inoki Dojo would become an affiliate of NWA Pro eventually, so they kind of became disassociated with uh, New Japan. And in 2006, they held two tournaments, uh, where the winner of each tournament would get an entry into the Best Super Juniors tournament in Japan. On May 14th, they presented the Super Lucha tournament, which would feature Alex Kozlov, Phoenix Star, Chalongo, Shamu Junior, to to name a few, and it would be run. Uh, it was won by the Dringo Kid. performed under the name Fuego and that event reportedly drew 10 fans Uh, yep 10 fans and (laughs) on May 19th NWA Pro hosted the final Best of the American Super Junior tournament in El Monte Rocky Romero as Black Tiger 4 would go on to win that tournament Uh, it also featured Alex Kozlov, TJ Perkins as Cobra 2, Jimmy Rave Joey Ryan, Roderick Strong, Scorpio Sky and Carl Anderson so uh, Rocky Romero in all three Best of the Super Junior American Finals.
1: Nice. So that takes us to uh, Best of Super Junior's Final 2004 in Japan. This year we have a 16-man tournament, two blocks being held from May 22nd to June 13th. Um, it featured a unique structure from other years where the top scorer of each block would advance to the semifinals while a second- and third-place finishers in each block would start in the quarterfinals. Jushin Thunder Liger, after finishing first in the A block, was forced to withdraw the tournament due to a spinal injury, leaving American Dragon to go to the semifinals instead. Uh, Josh, you want to run down the participants in this year's tournament?
2: Yep. So in block A, we had Jushin Thunder Liger, American Dragon, Masahito Kakihara, Koji Kanemoto, El Samurai, Big Boss Magma. Wataru Inui, and Riyazuki Taguchi. And on the B-block, we had Tiger Mask 4, Ultimo Dragon, Heat, otherwise known as Minoru Tanaka, uh, Masayuki Naruse, uh, Rocky Romero, Garuda, Katsuhiko Nakajima, and Curry Man, otherwise known as uh, Christopher Daniels. Yeah,
1: and then, so for the quarterfinals, we had... Uh the second place winner in the B block Ultimo Dragon taking on the third place in the A block Koji Kanemoto. Kanemoto wins there. Then also on the other side of the bracket in the quarterfinals we had Kakihara against Heat and Heat wins there. Then we go to the semifinals where we have the A block winner, uh, number 1 American Dragon going against Koji Kanemoto and then the B block number 1 Tiger Mask 4 going against Heat. So Koji Kanemoto defeats American Dragon, Tiger Mask 4 defeats Heat, and that leads us to our finals where we have Koji Kanemoto taking on Tiger Mask 4, June 13, 2004, in Corcoran Hall. And obviously, we can kind of tell we're kind of in the dark days of New Japan. In the past uh, final kind of episodes, a lot of our finals have been in bigger arenas, and now we're here in Korokin Hall
2: yeah and i think f- from now until uh well at least f- the entirety of this episode every single final from here on out is going to be in cork and hall which is kind of surprising um i think they start towards the end of the decade to do better houses but this one seemed to be like a really light house even for a cork and hall show
1: yeah uh so give us okay. the, uh, the background on uh, tiger mass 4
2: So Tiger Mask 4, so, you know, we get a lot of questions about Tiger Mask and Tiger Mask 4 just because of the, uh, you know, the mythos surrounding that character and kind of the confusion because there have been so many different Tiger Masks all throughout the years. But uh, this Tiger Mask, which is the fourth Tiger Mask, his real name is Yoshihiro Yamazaki. He is uh, the longest uh, active wrestler to have competed with the... uh, the persona of Tiger Mask, and he also was originally trained by the original Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama. He's the only Tiger Mask to have gained the uh, credentials and approval of being, you know, named that character by Satoru Sayama. So, you know, unlike the second or third Tiger Masks, you know, he's actually endorsed, and he also traveled to Mexico to train in lucha libre. Um, you know. For the purpose of taking on this character's name, um, a lot of people kind of associate Yamazaki with his time in New Japan. We, you know, we kind of affectionately call him Grumpy Tiger Mask now because he's in his older age, but he actually uh started with Michinoku Pro, he wrestled with uh for them from like 1995 till around 2001. And um, while he was there, that's kind of where he you know made his name, won most of it, you know. Did most of his like international traveling and you know by the time he comes to new japan in like 2002 he's been a former british you know junior heavyweight champion uh he's won like the british commonwealth title UWA world middleweight title multiple time uh independent champion with uh michinoku pro so i mean he's kind of a well-traveled and he's got a great reputation as being like one of the best you know junior uh you know, uh, competitors out there. I think one of the big things about Yamazaki is that his version. Whereas, like when you watched Koji Kenemoto or um, Mizawa when they were um, Tiger Mask, they kind of put their own spin on it. And while Yamazaki has definitely kind of "quote unquote" put his own spin on it, he's the one guy who has gone back to the roots and tried his best to wrestle as much like Satoru Sayama as possible. So that's the one thing is he's kind of a throwback in that sense.
1: Gotcha. So that takes us to the matchup here. So what do you think about Tiger Masters, Koji Kanemoto?
2: Well, you know, I was really excited for this because I was like, oh, you've got Tiger Mask 4 taking on Tiger Mask 3. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, but you also have Koji Kanemoto, who has won this tournament several times, been featured in the finals multiple times i mean he's at this point you know one of the top stalwarts in the division and um one of the best active workers as we've you know discussed and i am not as familiar with tiger masks work from the time period so i was like i've but i've heard the hype and um now i'm not going to base all my opinions on him on just these couple matches we watch here but like i was very 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 hyped going into this and once i watched it i was like uh what what <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> as I think that this might literally be in my opinion the worst match of the project so far as far as finals go. I think this is the weakest final at, out of all of them.
1: Yeah, this was a pretty weak match like you mentioned. You know, I I've, I've fallen in love with Koji Kanemoto during this project and He's one of those. If you guys, love
2: him, why don't you marry him?
1: <laughs> he's one of these guys. You know, he's in the been in the finals multiple times. You can tell why he's a great wrestler and puts on some great performances. So I'm like, all right, he's in here with Tiger Mask Four, like just like you have heard the great things about him. But yeah, this match did not click, and clearly we've seen Koji click with several other people in several other finals. So the uh, the the, 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 common, the uncommon denominator here is Tiger Mask. Um, and, and with Tiger Mask, well, this whole match in general, there wasn't really much of a story, really, or much of a structure. And, They're just doing stuff, right? That's what it, it, to me Tiger Mask. He wrestles in this match like I'm. I'm playing WWE 2K or whatever wrestling game you play. Where yeah. like, if I'm playing a game like I'm not trying to tell a story and have this great back and forth match. Like I'm trying to win, so I'm hitting like all my big moves, like you know tiger soup like dragon soup i'm hitting all these big moves just trying to win the match and get it over with and that's kind of what's happening here
2: that is literally my like exact thoughts i was like this guy is wrestling like um i don't want to say a shoot because a shoot is like realistic and you kind of see the intentions and the thought processes behind it with this he's i was like he's just out here doing shit like <laughs> <laughs> just doing moves all right and like i don't know and um, which
1: there's a point where like, doing moves i'm like okay I, I can get with that a little bit but i but don't know
2: none, none of it kind of like none of it flowed together like it wasn't like sequences he's just like like you know you always hear like how the top wrestlers always talk about like you want to have a reason for why you're doing this what is the reason and he's like don't need no reason hold this <laughs> kick
1: <laughs> hold this tiger
2: suplex hold this tiger suplex <laughs> fuck it uh, and you know um the, the other thing too is like Tiger Mask, like uh, he—he's kind of eating Koji Kanemoto alive in this yes, match, dude. Yes, I had this and I was almost
1: like, this is the same feeling you had when like Ishii or when Moxie was beating Ishii's ass. That's the feeling I always yeah. had, like watching this match. I was like, I was what?
2: like, what the fuck? I was like, why is Koji Kanemoto getting his ass kicked right now?
1: <laughs> I was like, when is Kanemoto gonna come back? And this match was laid out pretty much for Tiger Mask to like. I'm guessing at this time they're trying to push push Tiger. Mass I think they're
2: trying to push him as a as a as a big star and
1: get him over. And so they just had his like bulldoze Koji Kanemoto, and I'm just like, clearly Koji's the better worker here and the better wrestler, and he's just getting dominated by this guy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't want to uh, criticize the booking because I don't know the context or the situations at the time and all that. But the layout of the match is very questionable because I mean. Um, I mean, if he fucked him up and it was like really impressive, that's one thing. So I'd be like, all right, cool. But he fucked him up and it wasn't impressive. <laughs> 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 the one cool thing, the one thing I liked in this match, it was like literally the only thing. And you actually sent a video of it before I watched the match was uh, towards the end of the match, he locks um, Kenemoto in a cross-faced chicken wing and then. Turns the crossface chicken wing into a German suplex. He drops him on his head, and I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." And then, you know, and then he kicks him and hits him with a tiger suplex and pins him. And I'm like, "Oh, oh!" So it's like that.
0: <laughs> and it was
2: like eleven minutes. It was like, you know, shorter than the Kendo Kashin match from 1999. And I was like, "Wow, this yeah. guy really just pinned Koji like that." Yeah, he
1: bulldozes him. It's probably one of the shortest finals that we've watched so far. And, yeah, just kind of, I don't know, like, I, I popped huge for the, the crossface chicken wing suplex. I thought that was an awesome spot. Uh, but, yeah, then, like you mentioned, just a kick, tiger suplex, and that was it. Um, and, you know, I, overall, I went three and a half on this match. Oh, nope, nope, no way. Well, What'd you go?
2: I'd go three stars.
1: Okay. And, and for me, I still think three and a half is disappointing. For this match it's supposed to be a big final of a tournament you got a guy like koji kanamoto you have tiger mask four it's supposed to be extending the legacy of tiger mask and they should have had a, a better match here
2: yeah i mean you know these tournaments are very grueling and arduous for the competitors that are part of it you know it's a lot of time a lot of sacrifice and you always kind of hope that the end result will be something that is meaningful long-term for the business and the people involved. And I, I, I don't know. It just does seem like it kind of sucks. I don't want to say disrespectful cause that might be too harsh, but it feels like a waste and it kind of sucks to think that the match was such a letdown after a long tournament. And I don't know how good the tournament was or was not, but it kind of sucks.
1: Yeah, it just, yeah, this match, definitely on the bottom end of the finals we've watched so far, so, um, afterwards, uh... Hold up, I
2: gotta ask you something, Yeah. so I'm looking at your notes here, Dave Meltzer doesn't have any notes on any of these Super Junior tournaments until 2009?
1: Right, like, the observers just aren't on the website, <laughs> like, if you go to the archive, like, there's nothing in 04, nothing in 0, 0, 05, 06, uh,
2: like... I was like, this man just quit on the company around no. this time.
1: <laughs> like, I'm sure he he did them just for whatever reason. Those years are not uploaded in the on the website for whatever reason.
2: Okay, gotcha. I was like, yo, this man, this man did not care anymore.
1: <laughs> he was tired of writing this year's That's church. why they,
2: <laughs> That's why they call it the Dark Ages. Like we, everyone's always wondering why is it called the Dark Ages? Because Dave stopped talking about them during that time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So, afterwards here, Tiger Mask, so Tiger Mask wins the tournament, and he would go on to unsuccessfully challenge Heat for the title on July 19th, though he would defeat him eventually in a rematch on January 4th in Tokyo Dome 2005.
2: Nice. So, the next year is Best of the Super Juniors Final 2005. We do not currently have access to the footage for 2005 or 2008. But uh, we put out a couple posts this past week as a last-ditch attempt effort to try and locate, you know, see if someone – anyone out there on, on the interweb can help us. And without saying too much, we might have – we have a very promising lead that will probably in the near future produce those two finals for us.
1: Yeah, so hopefully um, that person will, will return – uh, the email and get in contact, and we can get those those matches.
2: Well, I was told even if they even if we don't hear back from this contact, uh, the individual that kind of connected us, uh, all we have to do is let them know, and they can uh, help us out still, probably.
1: All right, so yeah, we'll work. So, on so that. one way
2: one way or another, ladies and gentlemen, it might not be here in the next couple of weeks. It might even take a little while, but we will be getting access to those two matches. And when we do, we will compile them and put them into the final product for the final countdown. So we will not be talking about 2005 or 2008 this week.
1: Yep. So we're going to do a little time travel here, skip a year and go to 2006.
2: The good news, we have footage for the rest of this tournament. So that's freaking awesome. Yep.
1: Literally every single year. Everything. We have all the footage besides 05 and 08. So
2: Awesome, so let's talk about 2006
1: Yeah, so 2006 We have a 14-man block This year um, Tournament was held from May 27th To June 18th uh, Young boy, you want to run down the tournament Participants
2: Yep, so in the A-block we had Jushin Thunder Liger uh, Minoru Tanaka Who's just going as Minoru now uh, El Samurai Ryazuki Taguchi Jado, Sangre Azteca And Fuego and in the B block, we had Wataru Anui, Tiger Mask 4, Koji Kenemoto, Gato, Black Tiger 4, Hiroki Goto, and Gentaro.
1: And so this year, we kind of returned to the format where it's only A1, A2, B1, and B2 that are in the semifinals. Unlike last year, or excuse me, on 2004, where they had the, the third place guy in there as well. So in the semifinals, we had the A1 being Jushin Thunder Liger. Going against the B two Tiger Mask four, and then the B one was Wataru Inui taking on Minoru Tanaka as A two, and so Minoru defeats Wataru, and Tiger Mask defeats Liger, which gives us our final on June eighteenth, two thousand six, Minoru versus Tiger Mask in corken Hall.
2: Now, what I really loved was the version that we watched uh, was like a commercial. Uh, I don't know exactly what version it was, but it had a hype video to start off. And I don't think we've gotten too many hype videos for most of these matches. So this one did a really good job. Um, it starts off showcasing uh, Minoru Tanaka and it shows the three different times that he's been in the best of the Super Junior finals. And then in the next scene, it shows how he has lost every single finals match that he's been involved in. I think he lost to what? He lost to Kendo Kashin. Yeah. Koji Kenemoto and and Liger. Liger, Yeah. Yeah. So it basically shows how he's made it to the top of this tournament three times and failed every single time. On the reverse end of things, you have Tiger Mask 4. And although we're not talking about the 2005 uh, version of this contest this week, he did go into the finals against Gato. And he did defeat Gato. So he's the only person ever in the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling to win the Best of Super Juniors tournament back-to-back two years in a row. And so he's made it to the finals for a third year in a row. He's the two-time defending champion, and he's looking to make it a third victory in a row. So you kind of have the the reverse there. The other thing they kind of showed in the video was after he had these three losses, how he turned away from the Minoru Tanaka character and is now just Minoru because he is now joined up with C- T.U. different look, different attitude, different gear, and he is now a bad boy along (laughs) with uh, you know Liger and Koji Kinemoto and all those guys. Yes,
1: the Control Terrorism Unit. That is the uh, the Black Liger outfit for you guys that might not know or not familiar with CTU Liger.
2: And yeah, so that kind of sets the stage and the story behind you know what's going on with these two guys.
1: Yeah, and so. Even though Minoru might be the, the bad boy, the heel here, the crowd was firmly behind him here. Uh,
2: Completely. Yeah,
1: Cork and Hall, big pop for when he came out. And throughout the match, they were chanting for Minoru. And it just kind of showed you, like, the whole Tiger Mask 4 thing wasn't quite popping off maybe the way they were hoping or wanting to. And he just wasn't at the level of a guy like Minoru, who we've seen this tournament in the past and had some great performances.
2: I mean, maybe it was. We don't know. I mean, it's all contextual. You know, Corkin is very – Corkin's always a really smarky crowd. You know, always has been. You know, Tokyo audience is different, so we don't know for sure. The other thing is, you know, crowds love to see a first-time, like, champion or tournament winner. And so I think Minoru Tanaka's – not only does he kind of have a bad boy character, which always resonates, you know, a lot of times with fans, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, you try to get a guy over his heel, but he's so cool that the fans like him. I think there might've been that aspect, but also he's sympathetic, you know, you've got tiger mask who won this shit two years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got the guy who's lost it three times in the past. I mean, you tell me who you're supposed to vote for, you know? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I think he had a lot going for him. Plus if I do recall correctly, I mean, I wasn't watching it extensively at the time, but Minoru Tanaka always seemed to be one of the most popular junior stars of the time.
1: Yeah, and um, so what did you think about this match
2: overall? Overall, I thought that this match, at first, I thought it really sucked. And I mean really sucked. Worse than the one that we just reviewed. Um, The first two-thirds of the match, I think, are some of the shittiest uh, finals wrestling that we've seen. That's just my personal opinion. And... For that entire time, it is literally Tiger Mask just mauling Minoru Tanaka. And not in any, like, again, same thing that we talked about last time. Not in any discernible or uh, recognizable or orderly way. It's just him doing stuff. He's just doing shit.
1: Well, there was, doesn't, there was a little bit more of a story in this match because Minoru well, came enlight, in.
2: Enlighten enlight me because I was lost <laughs> the whole time.
1: So Minoru came, comes in the match with a taped up shoulder
2: and oh, that's right. Well, His arm was hurt.
1: Right, so Tiger Mask is working over the arm in the beginning of the match. He's getting a Fujiwara arm bar, cross arm bar. Uh, there was one point where Minoru had to bite his leg to get out of an arm bar. It's desperation. I'll
2: say this. I think that I didn't really catch on to the fact that his arm was so hurt until the latter half of the match. And you're right. There was arm work. But I will say this also. If that was the story, then why didn't he just stick to it? Because he was doing a bunch of other shit that he didn't need to be doing if that's (laughs) the story. Like, he did a lot of weird stuff in that first two-thirds that I was like – I was looking at the ratings, and I saw Dave Meltzer gave this match four and a half, and I was like, what the – Dave, come on, bro. And then suddenly when um, Menard Tanaka starts getting his comeback – The match completely flips on its head, and it's one of the best finals um, closing stretches that we've reviewed the entire time. To the point where it actually does, to a degree, redeem the match. And I was like, I could, you know, I'm not someone who's always like, oh, I could have cut five minutes off that or ten. I mean, the match is the match. I always let it be, but I could have literally done with without that first two thirds. I didn't think it was a strong base at all. But the final, like, third of the match is so freaking good with the arm work on, on the shoulder and the heat that, like, Minoru Tanaka throws in. it It is incredible. But keep in mind, Minoru Tanaka gets most of the cool offense in this second, like, in, in the last third of the match. Like, he's awesome. I kind of think Tiger Mask sucked back then.
1: Yeah, I mean... Yeah that's yeah, this, this ending yeah. The last half of the match I think yeah Once Minoru kind of made the comeback well, was really good And yeah you mentioned He did a, a lot of cool stuff there was one point Where he did a, a Super fisherman buster Off the top there and hitting A, a release regal plex uh, Doing a tiger suplex yeah, he was doing a lot Of like cool moves there um, Who? Uh, Minoru Oh yeah
2: Yeah uh, I don't remember exactly what happened But I just know like tiger tiger mask had been just like fucking him up and then suddenly he just like stands up and he's like no more of that and he starts hitting with open palm strikes and i'm like oh shit <laughs> and that's like that's when the match turns for me
1: yeah um and so yeah the closing stretch here um so tiger mask gets Minoru on top trying to hit a, a super tiger suplex he hits it for near fall uh he attempts a crossface chicken wing but Minoru reverses to a flying armbar Transitions to a leg cradle for a near fall. Then Minoru hits a, a STO. Followed up with a Death Valley driver. Uh, he goes for a leg kick. Um, Tiger Mask gets a waist lock. There's a waist lock exchange. Tiger gets a victory roll for a near fall. Then a backslide for a near fall. The exchange kicks. Minoru hits a fisherman for a near fall. Kicks him to the head. Flying armbar. Tiger Mask submits. And Minoru wins.
2: Yeah, and, and what was cool about this? The the last portion of the match was like, I guess what I didn't like about um, Tiger Mask being on top was that like it wasn't just that he was on top, but it was very slow, very plotting, and very like single base simple. Just be like he'd kick the guy, he'd elbow them, drop kick, suplex, just like very basic maneuvers, Mm -hmm. and there there wasn't much action. But then when when they cut into this final part where like these guys are trading holds and they're doing high flying stuff, all of a sudden I can see like oh Tiger Mask could have been doing this the whole time. Like he could have been wrestling at top level. Like he's he is good enough to do it. He just was choosing. I don't know. The first part of the match reminded me of like a Triple H match, circa two thousand three. You know, <laughs> it's, it's very very plotting. Very I don't know, uh, cerebral, I guess is the word. But um, I liked the story at the end because Minoru, like you mentioned, his arm is hurt, and Tiger Mask is trying to put him in chicken wings and and arm bars, and get him to submit, and he's having to get past that and, and fight and use his strikes. And then he keeps going for uh, jumping arm bars on Tiger Mask. And he's got to complete the arm bar, but also get enough leverage with – he only has one working arm to actually pull off that submission. So right. it, it's pretty cool. And the crowd – every time he does it, the crowd really, really gets behind him. Um, he hit a freaking sick STO on Tiger Mask at one point. Yeah,
1: that was, yeah, towards that ending stretch, it, it was a sick STO. He followed it up with a, a Death Valley driver, dropped Tiger right on his head with that, with that DVD. Um, there was a cool move, uh, from Tiger before that ending sequence where, uh, Minoru like, bounced off the ropes and Tiger caught him in a, a tilt-a-whirl, but it turned into a tombstone piledriver. driver.
2: Yeah, yeah, he did. And that was that's another thing when I saw him doing stuff like that, I'm like, Oh, so you was just fucking off. You could have been doing this cool shit the whole time. <laughs> kinda of made me mad. Um, it's funny because the way that you guys the, the first time I asked you you and Rich to review uh, El Samurai and Koji Kenamoto, this is kinda how you guys talked about it. You were like, Oh, it was slow in the beginning, but it picked up towards the end and I was like, Nah, all of it was great <laughs> But in this instance, I would literally say, in my opinion, I think the beginning of it is unnecessarily slow. But the second half of it is really great. Like, really, really great. I would still not... I, I don't know if I can go... I'd probably still go four, maybe three and three quarters, maybe four. I know... I think you're a little higher on that than me, huh? Yes,
1: yeah, so I went four and a quarter on it. I don't know. The, the closing stretch, I thought, was really great. The crowd... Throughout the whole match, the crowd was really into this match. The crowd bought into uh, Minoru's injury and really wanted him to fire back and come back and get the win here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This match, I don't know. Overall, I thought it just it just picked up really that second half.
2: Nice. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, any final thoughts in the aftermath?
1: Oh, one, one more uh, thing to bash Tiger Mask for. Uh, his, nice,
2: I, you're gonna bash him too. I love it.
1: His six one nine, it's horrible. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: There were several six one nine attempts in this match, and it was like the slowest six one nine I've ever seen in my life.
2: I forget uh, what Tiger Mask calls that move because I think he calls it something else. But yeah, it, it was not very good.
1: Yeah, the commentators called it six one nine. Did they? Yeah, they
2: were like six one nine up. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess by that point, it was, like, over as the 619, huh?
1: Yeah. Because, yeah, this huh. is 06, and yeah, Ray had been in WWE for, like, four, like four years now. Yeah, and I, I'm
2: getting ready to uh, graduate high school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so, after this win here from Minoru, he finally wins uh, Best of Super Juniors, and he goes on to defeat Koji Kanemoto for the title in December 2006. And this tournament marked the first time that neither block winner made it to the finals.
2: I remember what he calls it. It's the Tiger faint kick. Yeah. Yeah. I just want, I I, I don't know, I just want to remember that. What were you saying about uh, people not going to the finals?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this is the the first tournament that neither block winner made it to the finals.
2: Oh, yeah. In 2007? This is uh, 06. Oh, 06? My bad.
1: Yeah, because so, okay. yeah, Liger was the A1, Wataru Inui was the B1, and both of those guys got defeated in the semifinals, and you had the A2 and B2, which was Tiger Mask and Minoru here.
2: Yeah, and that's interesting. I guess it, it all depends on the philosophy of the Booker, you know, because I don't think Gato would ever really do this anymore.
1: Right, yeah. I, I hate this whole uh, let's put in the B2 and A2, A3, a B3. I'm like, these guys won a block for a reason. Like, I think it's pretty right. simple. You win a block, you go to the finals. It's it's so cut and dry. I, don't, it's, I think it makes it super convoluted when you're trying to add in these playoff matches. It's like, I won the block. Why do I need to win another match to get to the finals?
2: That is true. But then think about the reverse of it. You're fi- when you're looking at the dates the way Gato does it, you can pretty much tell who's going to be in the finals of the uh, tournaments most likely just by looking at the announced dates because you're already seeing that because they don't do a quote unquote playoff. You know that, you know who the top stars are of each block generally speaking. So if you look at like the final two nights of a block and B block, you're like, oh, okay, that's the quote unquote playoff match for the block. You know what I mean? And so I think there are positives and negatives. I agree with what you're saying, but I also think that there's an element of surprise and and you know maybe even a little bit more wiggle room for the booker to maybe do it this way, right? What I love about the way they do it now is that it's undisputed. The guy that wins wins, and there's no if and or buts about it. You know, whereas with this, there's a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, some guess some guesswork with it. Uh, so I think there's positives and negatives, honestly.
1: Yeah. And once again, no Observer Notes available for this. So that takes us now to 2007 for another 14-man, two-block tournament. This time held from June 1st to June 17th. On June 7th, it was announced that Prince Devitt would be forced to withdraw from the tournament due to an injury, forfeiting all scheduled matches in the process. So, young boy, tell us all the participants in this year's tournament.
2: Yep, so in 2007, we had in the A Block, uh, Prince Devitt, Yujiro, Taichi Ishikari, Jushin Thunder Liger, Tiger Mask 4, Milano Collection AT, and Wataru Anui. In the B Block, we had Tetsuya Naito, El Samurai, BB Hulk, Gato, Kochi Kanemoto, Minoru, and Ryazuki Taguchi. So, you know, you're starting to see some uh, more familiar names here.
1: Yeah, and uh, once again, we're... Uh, still have the A1, A2, B1, B2 format for the semifinals. So, the A1, we had Wataru Inui taking on the B2 Minoru Tanaka. And then the B1 was Riske Taguchi taking on the A2 Milano Collection AT. And which some of you guys might know uh, hear that name familiar, that's the one of the current Japanese ring announcers, the guy who's a, a big mark for LIJ and Evil in Um uh, So, he's A2 here. He defeats Taguchi. So, we have a a1 a2 final here uh rematch of a of a block match that we, we would have saw early in the tournament with wataru inui taking on milano collection at
2: yeah this is a interesting collection of guys because you're starting to see some not only some more modern names but some names of guys that are kind of outsiders like bb Hawk, um you know yeah, that name right there is just kind of like, I was like, oh, I didn't know he's in a Super Junior there. But, um, yeah, it looks like uh, on this day we had the the A1 and the A2 winners kind of continuing on to face each other. So, you know, again, interesting booking because you end up with two guys who already fought in the tournament ending up in the finals against each other.
1: Right. And like we talked about in the past, the so one, one good thing about that, you could build a big rematch. Mm-hmm. So uh, give us some background on Wataru Inui and Milano Collection AT.
2: So um Inui kind of he made his debut in New Japan Pro Wrestling in nineteen ninety-nine, and you know, he was kind of like one of the uh you know Sekigun, like face stable juniors for a long time. He was trained originally by Animal Hamaguchi and uh, you know, made his way into the New Japan Pro uh New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo. Um There's not a lot of notable information about him uh, through the early, like, 2000s period. Um, They do mention that, like, when CTU kind of came around, that he was always kind of, like, uh, aligned with the Sekigun unit to kind of, like, face off against them uh, in that kind of war. But I think that the big deal with him was, like, the fact that he was uh, a mentor or a mentee to Koji Kanemoto. They did win the junior tag titles in 2005, and then, um, he suffered a brief injury in 2007. Um, and then eventually him and, um, Koji Kinemoto, they dropped the IWGP junior tag team titles. So, um, I think he was kind of seen as like an underachieving loser mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Like he was r- very tough, very strong. Um, but that was kind of like, from what I understand of the time period, like kind of his persona going into this tournament, basically.
1: Yeah, I know it's a name I definitely recognize that we've seen in earlier tournaments and usually at the, the lower end of the block that he's in. So definitely he's kind of, you know, obviously matured, got some experience over time, and is now winning a block here.
2: Yeah, and then um on the other end of things we have Milano Collection AT, um, also known his birth name Akihito Sawafuji. And um they always build him as being from Milan, Italy. Um, obviously, Milano Collection AT is not Italian. <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly Japanese. Um, but he debuted in 2000 in the Toriuman promotion, which was the, uh, the precursor to the Dragon Gate promotion. And that's kind of where he adopted the persona and the rename of Milano collection. AT the idea was that he was like an Italian fashion aficionado slash like supermodel. So he'd wear like lavish coats and trunks. And, uh, he, when he would come to the ring, he always had like this invisible dog. So he'd have a leash that had no dog on it. <laughs> but, um, you know, he fought in the T2P class, which was like one of the, uh, that was like, I guess the second version of like Toriyama or like Toriyama's like, second roster or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, he kind of had been all over the place prior to coming to New Japan. like he he wrestled in T2P and Torimon, wrestled for the NWA. He also uh, did a little bit of stuff with WWE and Ring of Honor and East Coast Wrestling and TNA. He was like in their World Cup back in 2008. I don't know if you remember that. yeah. Uh, so I mean he he kind of had been everywhere. And he would even um, he was even part of the rise faction in New Japan Pro Wrestling when he joined them in full time in 2007. So uh, he'd had a couple like unsuccessful title challenges for like the NWA uh, Junior Title and the um, the uh, IWGP Junior Title, but this is kind of like his first real serious push at this point in New Japan. Nice. So kind of an kind of an outsider.
1: So we're here uh, June 17th, 2007. Long Collection AT versus Wataru Inui, Cork and Hall. What did you think about this matchup?
2: Um, I liked it. Um, I didn't think the match itself was great, but I thought that it was interesting. So, I mean, we had talked about how on the previous episode, how we kind of saw a period where for about four or five years, we saw a heavy influence of shoot style wrestling. And, and, you know, the MMA craze and how that affected New Japan's working style. And then once we come into this episode with, like, 2004, 2005, especially with Tiger Mask, it's like Tiger Mask was a throwback. So it's like he kind of, like, threw it way back, like, to the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like an overcorrection. Um, but once we get to 2007, it's very interesting because you have Ainui, who is very much similar to, like, I don't know. In in some regards, he's similar to, like, Minoru Tanaka, Takaiwa, Koji Kenemoto. Like, he kind of fits in with all those guys. But then you have Milano Collection AT, who's, like, completely different from every competitor we've seen in the Super Junior Tournament so far, or at least in the finals. I mean, I wouldn't say he was, like, a high flyer by any means, although he could when he needed to. But what was interesting about him is, like, he's like a precursor to like Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr. Like he seems like a guy that came out of like 2016, 2017 and went back in time to go wrestle, you know, (laughs) the failed juniors of, of (laughs) new Japan for that time period. Like it's really, it's kind of cool, but really weird. Like he's, he's doing like, you know, moonsault, uh, like, like jumping moonsaults off the like second rope and he's tying like, uh, anui up in all these, like you know, we. Uh, what's the what's the uh, hold that Sonata does? The Paradise Lock. Okay, so we always see sonata do the Paradise Lock, and we always lament about how bad the Paradise Lock is and everything like that. But like we we always talk about how Milano Collection Eighty is like the inventor of it. But I would I've never seen that much of Milano. I've seen a little bit of his TNA and ROH stuff and some mom but not not enough to like really know very much about him. But in this match. He's using the Paradise Lock, but he uses it, like, four or five variations of it, and yes. they're all they're all better than what Sonata does. Yeah,
1: so, yeah, Sonata just does gets him in the hole, gets him in the middle of the ring, does the hole, you know, get the crowd, the chair, and then he does a drop kick to the butt to let them go. So here, Milano, he gets the Paradise Lock, and he does, like, a, a Paradise Lock, like, sleeper thing. The guy's, like, locked in the Paradise Lock, and he has, like, a sleeper locked in two, he lets go of that, and then he does a, a Paradise Lock, but he's almost like a, a sharpshooter kind of position, but the guy is stuck in the Paradise Lock, and he's pulling up on his legs. Uh, yeah.
2: And he a the, par- only, the only thing I didn't like about it, and it's the same complaint we have about the Paradise Lock today, is like, why would you ever let go if the guy's locked up? And in this, th- this case, it seemed like I knew he couldn't... Now, it was a little different, because I knew he never, like, they never stated or showed that I knew he for sure couldn't get out, but like, every time he had I knew he in, like, a submission hold where it was a Paradise Lock variant... Pretty much seemed like he couldn't get out, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I was like, "So why are you letting go?" But um, maybe there's a kayfabe reason for it. I don't know. But I thought I thought Milano was awesome. I thought Wataru was okay, and I thought the match was just fine. But um, Milano Collection AT was like an injection that this tournament needed as far as the finals go, because like this is the first like truly really impressive performance I've seen in a long time since you know doing this. Project,
1: yeah, Milano was the clear standout here in this match, and like you mentioned, like just the moves he's doing. This guy is doing a lot of cool submissions. He does a super RKO at one point.
2: Oh yeah, he did the ace cutter off the off the second rope, and it was awesome. It, it, I was like, all right, all Japan nineties.
1: <laughs> and he's doing a lion salt. He's doing corkshoe lion salts, He's doing a lot of cool strikes. So yeah, Milano, like you mentioned, a breath of fresh air here towards these. You know, latter two thousands tournaments and the real kind of standout here. And you know, Wataru was fine.
2: Uh, Wataru, Wataru was serviceable. You know, he's yeah. doing, you know, lariats, big kicks, you know, uh, German suplexes, and that all sounds fine and good because those are things we like. But like, there's a way to do it to where like it's uh, where it's meaningful and impactful. And it, it wasn't really that. Like, you know, he was kind of there. um to tell you the truth, I don't even know. I'm not even really sure what the story of this match was because, again, this this match was kind of a little bit all over the place. To me, the the, ma- the story of the match was Milano Collection AT fucking rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what the story of the match was to me. Uh, also, he hit, like, the first super kick that I think we've seen at a, in the entire, like, the whole time we've been doing this since, right. like, 88. He hit, like, like, three he- super kicks. Yeah, and they were they were clean, and I was like, "Oh shit!"
1: <laughs> he also hit a, a sick kick at one point, a Roddy Strong move.
2: He hit two of those yeah. actually. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. So like you
1: mentioned, this guy were like, awesome. This guy's coming from the from the future with all these cool like indie moves,
2: and he, he threw an arm breaker. He did a flying arm breaker off the second uh, rope, and then hit him with a regal plex, like you know, and wataru's out here he's like i'm gonna hit you with a rolling arm bar it's like dog we're past that it's 2007 <laughs> like
1: <laughs> set your game up
2: yeah and then uh, at one point um oh yeah we hadn't really we i noticed we haven't been seeing spears and suddenly in this match there's a spear that was the two moves i was like there's a super kick and a spear and i was like you know we haven't seen those at all till now well that's very interesting
1: yeah but like, uh um, it looks like one of wataru's like big moves was a spear he hit it once and then tried it again later on in the match that that uh, Milano dodged.
2: Now, one thing I noticed, Wataru Inouye's finisher, I believe, because I I know it's how he won the two thousand eight finals. Is like this. Uh, it's I don't know how to describe it. You probably saw the move. It's like where he um he locks the back of his leg behind the person's neck, so like kind of puts him in a full Nelson, mm-hmm. and then he and then he yanks on the arm. And Milano Collection AT actually did that move earlier in the match so like he stole i knew he's finisher as like a sign of disrespect and then towards the end of the match he got milano collection 18 the move and everyone was freaking out and i was like that move sucks <laughs> <laughs> well it could have been it could be good but like the way he's pulling on their arm he's literally pulling it in a way to like where there's no tension at all like it's it doesn't look like anything and i'm like uh eh. but uh yeah, at the end of the match, um, Milano dodged a spear, hit a super kick. What uh, Taro kicked out at one and then hit a flying forearm. And then he goes for a cover. Milano kicks out at one. So like it's like fighting spirit from both guys. And then uh, Milano hits another super kick and a twisting lion salt for a near fall. And then he hits him with the regal plex. And then that's it. One, two, three. And I was like, ah, oh, that's fucking awesome.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, Milano's regal plex is a little bit different. Like he. it was almost like a pump handle Regal Plex, he had the arm like trapped in, uh, Batara's arm trapped in with like his lock there, so it was kind of weird but I liked it.
2: He did a lot of variants where people's arms or legs were locked Uh, and I noticed that too, I thought that was cool I I gotta see, this makes me want to watch more like Toriumon and see more of Milano Collection AT from his prime because I was like yeah, he fucking rules Yeah,
1: he was awesome. So yeah, Milano wins here, Uh, overall I went 3.75 on this match um,
2: that's yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I didn't love the match. I I wouldn't even give it a high recommend, but 3.75 is probably fine. But I I really like Milano Collection AT.
1: Yeah, Milano was yeah, the star of the show here. And so he would go on to become the first wrestler since Koshinaka to win the tournament on his first try, but he would fail to capture the junior
2: heavyweight championship. Mm. That breaks my heart. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, let's go to the final match uh, that we'll be reviewing for this uh, episode. It is the best of the Super Juniors finals, 2009.
1: Yes, yeah, so 2009, we have another 14 man block here. The tournaments being held from May 30th to June 14th. Young boy,
2: run down the participants here. So we had Black Tiger 5, that's Tomohiro Ishii no I'm just playing it's not <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Ishizawa I think is his name I forget who it was uh, we had Black Tiger 5 Tiger Mask 4 Milano Collection AT Jado, Akira Atsushi Aoki and Prince Devitt rounding out the A block and in B block we have Yamato Taichi Tsuyoshi Kikuchi Ryazuki Taguchi Jushin Thunder Liger Kota Ibushi and Koji Kenamoto uh, it also is worth mentioning that the 2008 uh, finals were won by Ainui.
1: Gotcha. So he eventually got his uh, big win there.
2: Yeah. I don't remember who he wrestled in the 2008 Super Junior Finals, but he wins that one.
1: So here, once again, 2009, we're still using the A1 versus B2, B1 versus A2 semifinals format. So the winner of the A-Block was Prince Devitt. So he's taking on the runner-up of the B-Block, Kota Ibushi. Then the winner of the B-Block was Koji Kanemoto. he's taking on the runner-up of the A-Block, Atsushi Aoki. And
2: so... Ko- Ko- Koji Kanemoto lost in the finals of 2008 to Watara Anui. Gotcha. Has anyone ever been in more Super Junior finals than Koji Kanemoto?
1: I think he, he's probably the most... Like, this guy's been in so (laughs)
2: many Super Tier finals.
1: And and this is another final for him right here because he defeats Aoki in the semifinals. And then Devitt defeats Kota Ibushi. So our finals, we got the A1 and the B1 winners here. So Prince Devitt is taking on— Also,
2: look at this. Uh, Koji Kenamoto beat Aoki in 6 minutes to 27 seconds by stoppage. So, I don't even know what that means exactly, what he hit him with, but yeah. Uh, and that's the same Ed Sushi Aoki that uh, passed away this past year mm. from All Japan.
1: Gotcha. So, yeah, so we get to the finals here of Prince Devitt versus Koji Kanemoto, June 14, 2009, in Corkin Hall. So, young boy, give us the background on Prince Devitt.
2: Yep, yeah, so Prince Devitt uh, is a name that uh, most of you listening should be pretty familiar with. If you're not familiar with that, you might know him as Fergal Devitt, which is his real name. Also, uh, he's wrestling under the name now as Finn Balor. He also wrestled for a brief time as Pegasus Kid 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, um, the deal with him, you know, uh, Prince Devitt kind of made his like uh, early career on the – uk scene um like in the early 2000s he started at the age of 18 and you know he made his mark on the uk won multiple you know uh major titles that were over there and um he was eventually invited to wrestle for the new japan uh inoki dojo in california so around 2005 he like made his way out there and like started training with those guys and you know uh Devitt was kind of one of these guys that kind of just traveled like he, he did tours in the United States, tours in the UK, and kind of just like, he's like one of the first real indie darlings that we like to talk about that kind of made his mark before coming to New Japan. So he, he was sort of like the first guy to like, come to the dojo. Um, and he'd already like had an extensive career outside of new Japan before he actually came to uh, new Japan in early 2006. That's where he, that's when he joined the dojo started training in the Japanese style professional wrestling. And, um, in 2006, uh, he kind of, he like in March is when he joined in April, he made his debut, um, against El Samurai using his ring name, uh, Prince Devitt. And, you know, from that point forward, he kind of just, like, started kind of, like, taking the, the company uh, by storm. He was a member of the Control Terrorism Unit. And, yeah, that's that's the background on Prince Devitt.
1: <laughs> nice. So, what did you think about this final match here between Devitt and Koji Kanemoto?
2: Uh, oh, one last thing. So, uh, by 2009, uh, when 2009 came around, uh, he had... Recently, like in July, he had just started his um, his uh, partnership with uh, Rizuki Taguchi as Apollo 55. Now, this is taking place, what, in June of 2009? Yes. So I don't think that they've formed the tag team just yet, but I did notice that he's seconded by Taguchi. So there must have been some sort of like friendship or relationship even before you know, uh, Apollo go, go started. Right. Um, I think this match is very interesting because by the time we get to 2009, you know, we've got Koji Kenamoto, who's a former two time winner of the tournament, multiple time IWGP champion and multiple time, um, you know, competitor of super junior finals. There's probably no one else who has as much experience in the finals as he does. So, Then you have Prince Devitt, first time he's ever made it to the finals of the tournament, and he's a much younger, you know, less experienced competitor. And their entire, uh, you know, backgrounds and sort of like style of wrestling are just in stark contrast to one another. Prince Devitt kind of comes off to me as like being the young, hot babyface, if you will, who's doing a lot of what we would consider, like, indie moves in today's, uh, you know, day and age a lot. Like, it's very, like, modern indie-influenced wrestling. Whereas, like, Koji Kenamoto is still doing <laughs> the same stuff he did in 1997, which yeah. is pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's completely – and actually, one thing I did notice, it's, it's nice. Koji, for a few years there, when we were watching him, kind of reverted to the Inokism stuff. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of sucked, but you have an older version of him here who's like he's he's more aged, he's more he's he's uh, you know a little more wily, like he's the older veteran going into this match.
1: Right, he's forty two at this point.
2: Yeah, and you can see it on his face. He looks older. He looks different. But um, this is a match about strength, like the strength and speed of a young lion, like an upstart, someone who. Looks like he's ready to take over the world. And then you've got, you know, the age, wisdom, and experience of Koji Kenamoto. And, um, what I loved about this match and what seemed to really be the story is that, like, head to head, Prince Devitt's weight's too much for him. But every time Devitt, like, tries something really, really big, Koji's, like, kind of scouted it and he just moves out of the fucking way of, like, I'll some move. really. <laughs> there, there are, um,. Two really big dives in, in the middle of this match where um, freaking Devitt tries to go for like tope congelos and tope planchas, and both t- and, it, and it's twice, and both times, like Kanemoto just walks out of the way, and freaking um, Devitt like eats crap bad, real bad, and they like both of those dives like change the entire trajectory of the match.
1: Yeah, so the first one, he has a topknot Hilo. He like wipes out a young boy and bangs his knee on the railing. Did you notice
2: who that young young lion was?
1: No, I, I didn't get I got a good look at his face.
2: Oh, it's Okada. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When when he's walking out, if you wa- if if you're looking if you're watching the tape, uh, he walks out with Okada as his young lion, and then um, he lands on Okada and the guardrail. Right. So and it, he's selling the knee. Well, the funny thing is not only that, but, like, he's selling the knee, but, like, Okada's selling it like it's death, but then they go into, like, a, a countout where they're, like, doing the 20 count, and by 14, like, 13 or 14, you look up, and somehow Okada has miraculously recovered.
1: <laughs> and Devitt's still out selling. And Devitt's still out. <laughs> yeah, Devin gets Devin gets back in at 19. So then following that, eventually, Devitt goes for another Topei Hilo but... This time, so like, Koji moves out the way But for whatever reason, for me I feel like he wasn't supposed to move out the way Like, I think, you think so. But- I think he was supposed to catch Devitt But he like, kind of missed Cause Devitt like, gave him all his weight <laughs> And it's like Cause Koji did one of those, those cells where like I'm supposed to get hit, but I didn't. But I kind of go down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then I get back up. Like, so he did kind of one of those, but he also kind of moves. It was kind of weird. I'm like, I think he was supposed to catch him, but he just like, I don't know what happened. But he t- did not catch him. Devin eats crap. Um, have
2: you ever have you ever seen the movie? This is the end. No. Where the, okay, so it's like this movie, the world's ending, and um, it's like towards it's in the beginning of the movie, like this bottomless pit opens up and this this guy is like holding on for dear life and someone who has like the high ground is above him and he's like give me your hand and he's like you're not strong enough to catch me I can't (laughs) and he's like he's like I am give me your hand and then he's like I'm gonna give you my weight my full weight (laughs) (laughs) and the guy's like all right and then he grabs his hand and he slips and he drops into the bottomless pit.
1: Yeah, that's what <laughs> happened to Devitt here.
2: For some reason, I was watching it. And, like, when I saw that happen, I think Devitt was, like, beforehand. They were going over the match. He's like, all right. But when I land, I'm going to give you my weight. My full weight. <laughs> 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 you sure you're not too old to catch me? And, like, Coach is like, I got this. <laughs> yeah, and, like,
1: Devitt, he's up pretty quickly after that, which makes me think, like, he wasn't supposed to like koji picks him up and then he's immediately back on the attack he clotheslines koji over the guardrail and does that crazy foot stomp uh dive.
2: yeah that yeah so that's we haven't really seen dives into the audience yet this is the first like super junior final where we're seeing dives to the audience so 2009 is a big turning point in you know what i estimate going forward like the 2010s we're probably gonna see a lot more of what people have kind of Become more accustomed to when it comes to like the junior style of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And this Devitt Marafuji is definitely like a, a turning of the tides because you're seeing Devitt sort of introduce that. And, um, but it, it's badass because you see the high flying of like Devitt where like it's spectacular and it's like devastating, but also high risk. Like he can get hurt so easily. And then on the flip end, you have, uh, You know, Koji Kanemoto, who's still doing the same things he always did, and it just works. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, his, uh, there was one point where he hit him with like, what, two or three uh, moonsaults back to back? Yeah. And yeah, it's badass.
1: Yeah. Both of these guys had a lot of uh, cool moves and back and forth here. Uh, There was a great spot by Devitt where Koji's going for the moonsault, but Devitt jumps up and hits a backstabber. So kind of like that, almost like a sort of like an indie spot. Like that's a, a movie you would see like in the independent scene. So like, Devik kind of bringing that kind of like indie background, some cool spots to this match.
2: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, what did you think was you know the this the tale here and kind of the turning point for the final of this you know the finale of this match?
1: So see, I think the uh, the turning point here. So uh, towards the end, um, Devin hits a Pele kick. Koji, uh, he gets Koji on top, and he's, he hits a superplex. And then he hits the fireman gut, gut buster. And then Koji reverses to an ankle lock. Devin reverses to a cradle. Uh, both men exchange cradles. Uh, Koji ends back up with an ankle lock. He figure fours a leg with the ankle lock. Devin gets to the ropes. Uh, Koji kicks the knee, so he's continuing to work on that injured knee. There's a slap exchange. Koji hits a Hurricane Rana, then kicks an um, the ankle lock, slaps an ankle lock again. Another slap exchange, a punch exchange within the leg hole. Koji hits a big right, then a Falcon arrow for a near fall. Devil Devitt gets an inside cradle for a near fall. He hits the Fireman Gust Buster that he failed to hit earlier. Uh, he hits the ropes, but Koji catches him with a big V trigger. And this was a V trigger this time. Uh, then a release
2: die. That, that Koji V trigger was freaking awesome.
1: Yeah. Then a uh, release suplex, uh, release tiger suplex, a kick to the head, and then a leg trapped ankle lock and debit taps out here, and Koji Kanemoto wins his third best of the super junior tournament.
2: Yeah, I loved the um, the moment where they're in the leg lock, and Koji's pretty much got uh in the leg lock but Devitt and him are slapping and then they result they resort to punching each other they're just both double punching each other in the face so it's like a bunch of james boyd spots which is awesome (laughs) but it's kind of um encapsulative uh if that's even a word but it, it kind of encapsulates what's happening here so you kind of have the defiance of Devitt as being like I'm the new, like I'm that new, you know, I'm here. Right, that real. I'm that real, but at the same time, like Koji's still smart enough to like capitalize on the leg. And so while they're while they're punching each other, going blow for blow, all the meanwhile, he's working on a on a leg hold, which is ultimately what was you know Devitt's doing was that big dive, him hurting his knee, the leg work. And then ultimately the submission. So like Devitt showed the world that like he's here, he's ready. And like, he's, he's the future, but Koji is still like for now, at least on that day, the guy. And, um, the big thing with this was like, well, a, um, that makes Koji Kinemoto only the third ever person to, or I'm sorry, the second ever person to win the tournament three times in, uh, in their career, that would just be what him and Liger. Yeah. But then also, I think that this is Koji Kanemoto's final Super Junior Finals appearance. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's his, I think it's his last appearance here. So it's sort of like the end of an era here. Like you kind of know that there's a big future for Devitt, but like this is kind of the last hurrah for Koji.
1: Yeah, and so he would go on. So yeah, like you mentioned, second wrestler to win the tournament three times, and he would go on to lose a title match. On July 20th against Tiger Mass 4. Mm, gotcha. And we do have some observer notes here. Uh, Dave says, Koji Kanemoto captured the 20th annual Best of Super Junior tournament in New Japan on June 14th at Corken Hall by beating Ireland's Prince Devitt, Fergal Devitt, in 1955 with an ankle lock submission. In it was the 8th time. Kanemoto won, now forty-two. Had reached the finals, winning previously in 98 and 2002, while losing the finals in 97, 99, 03, 04, and 08. Holy crap. (laughs) had never been in the finals previously. The show drew a a sellout. 2005 fans, it was the usual parody-style tournament booking, with eight of the 14 wrestlers still alive going into the final night of the Round Robin tournament on June 13 in Kyoto. So, yeah. Dave didn't really give too much.
2: There was one thing I I wanted to mention. So um, even though I thought the match was pretty okay, like it was good. It it wasn't bad. It was good. It was entertaining, but I wouldn't call it great. The one deflating thing was I did not like the finish. Um, I liked the setup of the finish and the story, but there weren't that many submission attempts to really draw you in to tell you that this, that Devitt was pretty much done for when it came to the leg submissions. Yeah. And when this, when this leg hold got put in, the crowd was like desperate for Devitt to get to the ropes. And he was in it for a little while and he was struggling and they were mounting like the anticipation for him to break the hold. And like Corkin started really, really picking up and they were like getting behind him. And then he tapped and then that deflated it all, and it was like, oh, that was the wrong time to do it. It kind of reminded me of when uh, Triple H tapped John Cena at WrestleMania 22. Mm, yeah, and, and he was right by the ropes, and it was kind of deflating. Like that's kind of what this reminded me of, and I was like, oh, they picked the wrong. Like it was the right finish, done the wrong way, um, and it it did bring things down a little bit for me.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I went four stars on that match. Um overall I thought it was a really good match. Um you know, there were like I mentioned that, that second Topic and Hilo, I think it might have been a botch. And there was a couple other spots where,
2: there was quite a few botches in this match. Yeah,
1: there was a couple like miscommunications and a couple moves where it didn't come off as smoothly as they wanted. Um and maybe that's the inexperience of Devitt. Maybe that's just the, the language breakdown between both of those guys. But overall I still think it was a pretty solid final and one of the better
2: ones we watched this week. I'll say this when, when this is all said and done, um, I didn't think, I, I thought it was like three and three quarters. I, I couldn't give it four. Cause I think four is truly great. And I, I thought that match was good, but not great. But you know, the nineties were just this incredible time for the juniors in, in new Japan. And then we saw what happened like, Last week's episode, I liked quite a few of the matches, but I didn't love a lot of the performers. This week was a little different. It was like Some of the matches, I liked some of the performances, but I didn't love the wrestlers. But what we did see was we saw a changing of the guard going into the latter half of the decade where like guys like Milano Collection AT and Prince Devitt are kind of showing up, and it's the, the style is completely changing. And so it makes me very... Like, uh, I'm, I'm real excited to re- to review like 2010 going forward. We've got, you know, how many more nine? Yeah. So about what? Two, two, two more weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So these last two weeks are probably, and I mean, there's some bangers in there, like, you know, Taguchi and Osprey, uh, Kushida and ricochets in there. Um, <laughs> freaking, uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Kushida, which is one of my favorite finals ever. Obviously, last year's match. Uh, Ishimori and, and Hiromu. Oh, so my I God. mean yeah. Yeah, I mean, that last week, I don't know. It's going to be tough because there's going to be a lot of really, really, really good matches. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see, see everything going forward, uh, you know, 2010
1: on. Yeah, me too. So that I'm, r- ju- I'm,
2: I'm glad we got this inoki shit past us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that wraps up uh, the final countdown for this week. The only thing left for us to talk about is the recommended match of the week. So, first of all, uh, what were your thoughts on watching Ultimo Dragon and Yuji Nagata?
2: Uh, it was good. It was really good. Um, I liked it better than a lot of the Super Junior Finals we reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a fraction of the time. It was like an eight-minute match. Um... So, you know, the whole story there is the idea that Sonny Uno was the, you know, devious manager of Ultimo Dragon, and Dragon kind of left him behind and was starting to work with, you know, the luchadors in, in, New, or in, in WCW and everything of that nature, so he didn't like that shit, so he went out and got himself a ringer, and he brought in Yuji Nagata, and... Um, they had this match on the opener of um, what's it, of uh, Halloween, Halloween Havoc, Havoc 97. And what's weird is I remembered the – when you brought this up, I remembered the World War Three match more. And I actually watched both matches. And I can tell you right now the match at Halloween Havoc is much better, like way superior. But um, they did a lot of very innovative stuff for the time. Um, Dragon – has always had great kicks and great strikes, but I mean, he wasn't really laying into his ship But Nagata. Holy crap. Nagata was laying into his strikes so heavy. And I think part of it was that the story was that they were trying to, to tell was that Nagata was like a bigger, stronger, faster version of dragon. And I think that might be one of the reasons why dragon was working so soft. Mm. So as to accentuate Nagata's like impact, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, but they had a really great wrestling match uh, back and forth. And then um, there was some stuff that Dragon did that – like I forgot that he used to do like that seated spinning Frankensteiner off the top rope.
1: Oh, yeah, that was dope.
2: And I remember um, when you play WCW and Revenge, they have this really cool opening segment. And I always remember him doing that. And come to find out, it's Nagata that he does it too. So they're literally like it, – it's – Uh, A reference to the um, Halloween Havoc '97 match when they did that, but um, ultimately the commentary on the match was really good, especially Mike Tanae. Mike Taney is bringing up like Tane was killing it. He he he's doing really really well, and he he keeps bringing up like the the uh, the J Crown and you know everything the history of the guys in Japan and what this all means going forward and. uh, yeah, it's really it, – he, he kind of adds a lot of uh, depth to the match where it's just kind of a pay-per-view opener. Like it, it's a throwaway match to someone like Bischoff, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, they gave him like eight, nine minutes, and they went out there and had a great match. And one thing that Mike Tine did was he started mentioning that um, Dragon had bone spurs in his elbow that had been bothering him. And they played that up into the story of the match – and as the match continued on, like, his el- his arm got real bad. And then you realize, like, Nagata was targeting the arm the whole time. And at the end of the match, um, Nagata is going to – or I'm sorry, Dragon is pretty much about to win. And he goes to put him in the in the Dragon Sleeper. And Nagata slips out of it and drops him, puts him in the Nagata lock. And Ultimo, like, taps. And it's clean. Like, he, beats- he beat that man fucking clean as hell. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was really great. Um, I, I would have gone like, almost, I like it's, it's four star action in an eight minute match. I think three and three quarters, is probably a fair yeah, accurate that's, rating That's
1: where I was at like three, seven, five on it. Yeah.
2: But it's an eight minute match, you know? So there's right. levels to this shit. It's like, it's a really great eight minute match. You know what I mean? Right. Like if they, if they had more time to do a lot more, well, I'll take that back because I watched the match where they gave him a lot more time on the next pay-per-view and it sucked. <laughs> it, it was not nearly as good. In fact, in, in many instances, it was kind of the same match. But uh, yeah, I big recommendation. I, I like that match a lot.
1: All right. So what's the recommended match for this week?
2: Well, since it is Dontaku and since we uh, won't be getting Dontaku this year— I thought we'd go back into the history books and give you the match that started it all. So uh, my recommended match of the week is a dream match, champion versus champion, the immortal Hulk Hogan versus the Great Muda, the WWF champion versus the IWGP champion at the Fukuoka Dome in 1993. Nice. Very, very, very legendary match. Many people widely regard it as possibly Hulk Hogan's best match of all time.
1: Is that where we get the post-match promo of he wants to win the IWGP title and the WF title, the trinket?
2: Yeah, he tells him, he's like, I've won the WWF title five times. This is easy. I want the title. <laughs> <laughs> this is a stepping stone. It's a trinket on a tree. I want the IWGB, I-W-G-B title. <laughs> There's also another promo he cut before the show, and he's like, "I in Japan, I want to fight all the best wrestlers. Inoki. Shono everybody <laughs> 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 he doesn't know anyone else's names. <laughs>
1: all right guys so check out that recommended match of the week next week we'll be back with all the latest news and another final countdown segment looking at the best of super junior finals if you enjoyed today's show Please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. The show is at KI Strong Style. Also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. And join us in the Wrestling Square Circle Facebook group. Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong. Style. You can check out our Discord channel, Social Suplex, and you can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex podcast network. On Sundays, we have One Shit Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have uh, our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling, Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. Fridays, we have Get in the Ring. With Danny and Mike. And then on Saturdays, we have all things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy, and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts.
2: Fuck i <laughs> Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.